This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Connor. And we're going to talk about The Troop by Nick Cutter. Uh, that's not his real name. I can't remember what his real name is. I think it's Davidson. Craig Davidson. Craig Davidson or Davison? Davidson. Davidson. Okay. Um, a 2014 novel. Um, it's body horror. Not regular horror, uh, whatever that is. Not cosmic horror, which I'm like, that's my thing. Um, it's body horror. And I, I only suggested we do this because my mom's tenant handed me the book and said, you should read this. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't know. Did but he was talking about this when we were doing Farmer in the Sky. Maybe. Was, it was a while ago. I, we booked way we ahead. We talked about right? it with the Boy Scout thing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, we did talk about Boy Scouts. That's right. Yeah, so it, it kind of fits. Um, and you know what I like to do is I like to sample to make sure I'm not missing stuff because I'm stuck, you know, I'm like really interested in eight, 1938 editorials <laughs> and a 1920s, um, you know, <laughs> magazine formatting and stuff like that. So I'm not the most astute when it comes to modern fiction and I, I'm very dismissive of it and I think that that's, dangerous so i want to just check in every once in a while make sure i'm not missing something and this is a good opportunity to do that um that being said um there are people out there who like horror um it sounds like evan from all the trying to not save it for the podcast stuff you were sending me you you thought there's something to this book and i know marissa's into horror and mr jim moon was into horror um both of them are not available uh Due to various reasons, but um, Connor, why did you agree to do this book? Um, uh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I started listening to it, and it, okay. was, uh, it, was, it uh, hooked me. Yeah, it's um, pretty hookable. I see. Uh, there's a lot of hooks in here. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. It, it got its worms. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> the then, worms got in your brain, like and a, you kept going. Yeah. And now you're where you exactly. are. Wow. Yeah. Um. I'd never heard of this guy before, but, um, it's funny. Uh, I, I, just cause I hadn't heard him doesn't mean they're not famous. Some of the people like they're quoting, you know, we got the Stephen King quote and then other people like Jonathan Mayberry. I don't think I've ever read anything by him. He's got a quote on there. And then there's some other person who's got a quote like who dad. And of course they're one of these other, you know, big writers who I've never read anything by. But, um, a book stands on its own. It's not just, uh, it's not just, you know, the market and all that stuff. And he, this guy seems to be doing really well, but it re- reminded me a bit of a book I'm sure neither of you have read or even heard of called, uh, Earth Core by Scott Sigler. Scott Sigler is a, uh, San Francisco based writer who started, um, doing audio podcast fiction very early. Um, and his book was very big when, uh, that was happening like in 2005 or so. Um, and it was serialized and I'm not a big serialized novel guy, but I did review it and I read it and, um, it's very, it's like competent, um, makes you want to read, keep going, that sort of thing. And more horror than I normally read, like, you know, body horror sort of stuff. 
with big evil corporations somewhere in the background and something lurking in the ice underground or whatever it is. In that case, it was a geological sort of book. But he did, he's sort of worked his way up the tiers and, you know, I think he's doing, um, bigger books now, you know, like, I don't know. I, I don't want to s- overstate it, but basically he, he can almost make a living. <laughs> when I went and compared this book, uh, Evan can probably go to the bathroom now. <laughs> Jesse's on a rant. Um, I compared this book to, um, to Earthcore on Goodreads. And Earthcore has like, I think, 4,000 reviews or something like that. And, or maybe it's 4,000 ratings and, uh, 400 reviews. And then this book has like 16,000 reviews or something crazy. Like, holy shit. <laughs> I never heard of this book. Um, and it's got 16,000 reviews. That's crazy numbers, right? So I guess part of it, the reason this book exists is it's exist. Oh, it's right on the back. I'm holding the paper copy it says fiction on the back it's not in the gutter that margaret atwood refuses to acknowledge she is in it's it's for the mainstreams so uh, as a book it's not targeted at me it's not an old book written by some guy who likes science (laughs) it's a it's a new book written by a guy who uh wants to be a book writer i guess i don't know yeah, so, I mean, e- even though it is horror, mm-hmm. which I guess you could say, and it's body horror um, specifically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it um, it definitely has tapped into that sort of uh, paperback mainstream horror market, mm-hmm. right? Like the same people that you know Clive Barker and and King are in. Um, so it doesn't surprise me actually that it that it had a lot of mainstream attention. Yeah, for a book. But I mean, it's, it's like popular yeah, for I a mean, book. I thought it was a good book. It's um, a good book. I enjoyed it. It's, it's a good book. It, it, I don't know if you can, uh, you can enjoy it exactly, but you can get the ride out of it, right? That it yeah, is. That'd be a better description. <laughs> like, I definitely was squirming a lot. Like, <laughs> the body horror was, it's, uh, it's kind of on. sickening, um, on purpose. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, there are horror movies that I, I've seen, like, that are, I, I, what's the one with the guy with a pinhead, you know, like where you see a lady who's been stripped oh. of all her skin and like, and then something, I don't know, lightning and smoke and uh, scary Cenobites come out and like, it's kind of like the feeling of aliens. Um, I was thinking of Cabin Fever with movies. Just, Is that a movie? That? Cabin Fever? Cabin Fever. That's a, that's a body horror. Okay. But it's in the woods. So. Mm-hmm. It's harder to watch that stuff than to read it, I think. Uh, I would agree. Um, but, but part of the, uh, my mind went different places than I think it's the author wants me to go while I'm reading the book. Because I'm like, okay, uh, I guess I'm supposed to want all these people to die. Um, that's interesting because I do want some of them to die. But I, I kind of don't want to live in this world either. <laughs> you know, like... Um, and then I was looking at one of the, like, if you look at the top reviews, um, the number one review that first comes up is, uh, I read the whole book and never got scared. It was a big yawn. Like, okay. <laughs> Somebody's jaded. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but even well, so, that's... Kind of not positive reviews there were. 
Uh, or, you know, there was a, a one says, fuck this book, and it's rated five stars. <laughs> like, um, because it's doing something for you, you know, and there's a lot of gifts. I've never seen, uh, maybe this is a new thing on Goodreads, but like, there's gifts in people's reviews. And I was like, well, that's interesting. That's one way to review books. <laughs> Put a bunch it's of- almost like a social media. Oh, very much, right? Uh, it is a Goodreads is turning into like a social, a social. Even Stephen well, King's on here with his yeah you know, one talk about line review because I have some ideas about that. But here's one: uh, I'm only 80 pages in, and the idea of following this group of teenage dudes while they constantly ridicule the fat kids is not appealing. Does mm-hmm. this let up? And it's like, do you not know what kids do? Uh, it's very, um, it's very it's realistic all. in that yeah, respect. There's two things here, like, okay, the, the fat shaming of the fat kid. But again, if you're around kids, this happens. Yep. Like, we should... He's got a good insight into We shouldn't that. fat shame people. But this group of teenage dudes, right? There's no women in this book. Not not a one except for the mom in, you know, flashbacks or whatever. It's all boys and... Well, maybe they should have made the doctor, like, a, a woman. <laughs> well, when they make the movie, give her agency or something. Uh, and apparently, there was a movie or is a movie in development. I was thinking, like, um, honestly, this is just—it's a zombie book. That's what it That's is. Where I thought it was yeah. going at first. I thought um, it was going. I thought book. it was going to be like a Wendigo sort of. I creature. wish. I it wish. It's sort of a Wendigo tale in a way. Uh, yeah, yeah, except it, it's not cold enough, and there's not enough feet on fire. <laughs> We need mm. to get we need to get the Algernon Blackwood out to make it more because this is it, it it's um it's it's a zombie apocalypse with like five boys on an island and so mm-hmm. like the world like if if you start reading the book and you just skip all all the and you can't do this in the audiobook but if you skip all the the non um boy content on the island um. The image is very different, right? So we, we get, we start getting these, it's actually right at the beginning, right? Even before we actually see the first chapter, it's a article from an online weird news website, right? And then at the end of it, it says, if you like this article, you may also enjoy cheeseburger kills space alien, right? So it's setting the tone there. But then in between the chapters, we get uh, world building for what's happening and what will come. Right, and yeah, can I can I bring up King now? Yeah, go for it. Good, sure, good, good point. It's, it's like a lot of this because I've been reading a lot of King over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Everything he wrote, basically. But um, this I don't want to say derivative because I, I think that's a slight that doesn't deserve, but that it probably doesn't deserve. But influenced there's a lot by of influenced, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I mm. felt at times I was almost reading a King novel, like. And like, but that's because King had done this kind of stuff before. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, this crossing between like academic articles and kind of pop culture articles. This is how Carrie's. Have you guys read? Yeah, 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 I have not. It's very much that that same structure. I, I have a hard time believing he wasn't influenced directly by by Carrie in how he constructed this because Carrie does the same thing. You have this very small story, but it becomes global, not really necessarily cosmic, but it becomes global in how he talks about the discourse about it afterwards, mm-hmm. right? That's the coolest thing about Carrie. Mm-hmm. I did a whole thing on my YouTube channel about 
uh, women and regulation of women's body and, and carry. And that, that I think from the era of that, that peak of second wave feminism, it was a really interesting novel to come out. But there's other King novels here that this really seems to shout out to really directly. One is Dreamcatcher. Mm-hmm. You which, mentioned that uh, in direct message. Which is also oh, all yeah. body horror. It's set You're in the right. woods. It's an alien invasion, but it's the same kind of thing. Aliens enter your body and just fuck you up. And it's really focusing on the body horror and the, the, the like the violence towards animals is in there. It's, and then you got the government like trying to cry, so try to limit it, right? Mm-hmm. To try to contain it. The contagion aspect. And also thinking like the Shelly, that's his name, right? Yeah. That Shelly mm-hmm. character, it, like at times I'm like, this is exactly how Patrick Hockstetter in It is described. He's the, yeah. is he's the psychopath. Mm-hmm. It? No, I haven't. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. how Which I thought it was. The character, in, I don't think he's really in any of the adaptations. In a no, series. he's too much of a side character. But he's, but he's yeah. it's such a memorable aspect of the book is mm. the backstory to Patrick Hockstetter. There's a whole chapter devoted to him in it, um, and he's a, a young boy about the same age who's killing animals. He killed his brother. He's a perfect kind of king psycho villain, mm-hmm. um, and he gets just he gets. Destroyed in a really horrible way by it, um, in the course of the novel. But the way he built up the backstory of Shelley, and then you see him making these decisions, there's more to this character than there is to Patrick Hockstetter, but it's very, very similar. Mm. In the way the character I, just also the, um, I mean, the four boys, uh, who are all sort of stuck together and are in that particular stage of life, right? Yeah. Is also. Yeah, I didn't like, um, while I was reading this, like, I always, I always don't like, cause comparing stuff to King, because mm-hmm. unfortunately he's just such a giant mm-hmm. of the literature world. You can't not any, anybody who does anything, you know, with four boys in it, um, yeah. ha- you have to compare it to like the body or, um, or it, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. or other stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it, it is very much. The flashbacks, like you said before, especially, uh, yeah, I like that. Um, but also, uh, I mean, not just Patrick, uh, Hockstetter, but, um, and Shelley, but also, um, Ephraim reminded me of oh, yeah. the kid with glasses from uh, the body who is like a thrill junkie because he's, yeah. um, yeah, right. Ephraim's like also like that. He's, uh, he's sort of, that's his, um, outlet, I suppose. It's uh, it's um, heavy on the character, heavy on the character. Yeah. And the thing is, is I was like, uh, I was I don't know three hours into it, and I I briefly talked to my mom's tenant, saying I'm reading that book you you gave me, and um, I'm like, yep, I'm at the point where I want to see all these boys die, right? <laughs> like, and I, I and I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're gonna die. It turns out, you know, one of them survives or something, sort of, sort of, one of them survives. Um, and like, I, I guess that's supposed to de- develop suspense. And I thought, oh, that's a possibility, right? Cause we know that some, uh, at least most of them are going to die early on. I think we're told about halfway through one survived, right? Oh yeah. But we, we don't know which one it is. Right. So there's, a, there's some, um, there's some benchmarks for it. <laughs> uh, part of what I'm saying is this is a novel designed to be a novel as opposed to like 
a story. <laughs> it's designed to do a certain thing. Now, the problem here is we've got a book-length study on something that could have been much bigger or smaller. Um, it's just because it's set on this island, right? So what about the mainland? Well, we got a little snippet of that when he's at the diner, right? The Starvin' Marvin thing, the beginning. But putting it on the island and then doing the surgery, is it almost feels like it's it's a paint-by-numbers. Incredibly well-done paint-by-numbers, right? It hits all the notes you want it to. But I'm always going back to, like, why is this? Why is all of this happening? And when you're reading Lovecraft, um, it's about the sustaining of, of a certain mo- mood is what he claims, right? It's about the s- sustaining of a mood and then paying it off. Um, his payoffs are something you see coming usually really easily, right? Um, but the, but the thing is, is that they are generally about a communication of us, I think, about a certain way of seeing reality. And this is that too. So I spent a lot of time with this book, 11 hours. It's an 11 hour book. And most of it, I, I, I'm noticing like it's similes, endless similes, right? So the, I, I'll, I could yeah. pick a random page and just find like five or six similes describing what's happening to somebody's body or, uh, how something, something smells. Uh, man, smell is, must be something. You know, his best uh, scent. <laughs> Nick Cutter's favorite thing is the smell of something, right? And the thing is, his smells are powerful. But they're not hitting me in the brains. They're hitting me in the guts. This book is about, like, it's about fear. About hitting you in the fears. And making you say, look, I'm contaminated. I'm worried. I'm I'm upset. I'm. What if I've got it? And, and none of the things that he's saying are lies, right? Uh, obviously, other and than... And it picks such a, a common, like, feeling we all have oh yeah contamination is that hunger something deeper is it i'm contaminated or yeah. just i've been in the woods and the food we have left is, is garbage and then you throw in a character who is a psychopath right who's designed to um you know this is his playland right um well this isn't a true story this is this is um something you've picked. So I, I go right back to the guy. His name is Nick Cutter. That's not his real name. Um, Nick and Cutter, right? I should have seen it coming. It's a body horror book. Um, mm-hmm. and But it's a body horror book way more than... Um, like, I, I don't understand... I don't understand the appeal. Uh, other than, you know, it, 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 it ticks off a powerful fear. And that's a ride. But I was way more interested in, like, oh, making comparisons to, like, I, and I don't think it works. Um, so the the bad guy in this book, who they compare him to Mengele, which I don't think is a very perfect analogy, right? Because it's Mengele isn't about a contagion. Um, he's a, a our Victor Frankenstein, or I, I kept thinking of. Um, uh, Lovecraft's guy, uh, Herbert West reanimator, right? He's a, this is like a serious version of Herbert West reanimator. Um, he's played up to be a, uh, a bad guy and we can blame it all on him, but it's a lab leak book, right? And, uh, there's a full page ad in the, in the, um, in the paper book for that weight loss drug, right? That turns out to 
Find your thin inspiration. You see a lady wearing jeans, pulling them, showing how thin she is now. The two pill solution, right? Eat whatever you want. Um, so all of that background stuff, the world building to explain how this situation came about on the island. It's not really there to do anything than answer the question, how did this all happen? And so reading that stuff, I'm like, okay, I guess it does the extra job of, of telling us, telling us that the suspense part, like how it's going to turn out. But at the end of the day, the, the, well, I guess it's, is it fully contained, right? They keep checking on him and then he goes out. He's hungry. Right. Um, I guess that's uh, why it, it, it appeals as a movie because it's got an ending, right? It's got a built-in ending. Um, but uh, honestly, I, I don't think, I don't think it's fun spending time with, uh, 14-year-olds that are like this in this situation. The, there's a quote, was it, uh, yeah, it's at right at the beginning of the book, um, from one of the books I've read many times and don't like at all. Um, Lord of the Flies. The head is for the beast. It's a gift. William Golding, right? You guys read that book? Yeah. Uh, I haven't. Okay. Well, the most interesting thing about it is that it's, it's set during World War III. Um, (laughs) that's the most interesting Mm. thing about it. The rest is like the psychology of a bunch of boys on an island and like going crazy. And teachers love this book. I don't know if it's mandated that they have to teach it or they just have lots of copies, but somebody chose this as a book students should be tested on. And it's a sick book. <laughs> I'm, yeah. not, I'm not saying it should be banned. I'm just saying, like, why are we pushing this book on people? Because they don't focus on the World War Three part or, you know, well, how... I think about this yeah. when I think about, like the like, the Walking Dead kind of mm-hmm. story. I think that's the go-to now, right? Yeah. But it's so often like society collapsed here. It's just boys in the woods without civilization around them. Lord of the Flies, same thing. But this idea that we immediately are reduced to this crazy, brutal, violent, hierarchical social relations. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's what always bothers me about like the zombie fiction. Because it almost always... Because zombies at the end of the day aren't that interesting. No, they're not. As villains... So you need some. So it has that infection fear. People but, being shitty to each other. That's right. And I don't know if you actually look at the historical record of people in crisis and societies in crisis. I, I don't think it is equivalent. I mean, it seems people do have this solidarity and they're able to cooperate and solve problems. You know, not perfectly, of course, but it's it's. I don't think our true nature is reflected in this Hobbesian. Indeed, you know, world that we get in this kind of fiction. Uh, the, I, I was uh, mm-hmm. last night. I but watched these boys. Maybe these boys are. are I mean, I, I didn't mind the story so much. I didn't think about this so much in this story, but a little bit, I guess. Last night I, I watched. Was, I kind of allowed it with a small set of characters. I and watched there was this show called the, the Walking Dead: World Beyond. It's a two-season series spinoff of The Walking Dead. There's already another. Walking Dead spin-off at least one and maybe other ones. Um, but I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I, I start watching it and it, it's set 10 years after the zombie apocalypse. But it's a high school drama. 
set in a world where zombies exist. And so you got a bunch of kids who are, you know, smart. We know they're smart because we're told they're smart. And then they've got some, uh, some 20 somethings that are smart and handsome. And we know they're smart because they say smart things. We've, we're told. <laughs> and then we have the elderly people who we know they're going to turn into zombies because, you know, they got cages on their doors so that when they die in the night, nobody gets stabbed, you know, bitten or whatever. So it's, it's just like a, it's like a, it's like a regular high school drama, but like set in zombie world. And I'm like, why? The whole point of zombie, the, the, the reason that Walking Dead is interesting is because they, tr- they try on a series of how to live, how do we live together? And basically they're, they're communists, <laughs> like they're uh, primitive communists. They're tribal and they share their food and they share their water and, and then, then drama, drama happens. And those are the most uninteresting parts. But the fact that, you know, they still got running water and canned food 10 years after the zombie apocalypse. I'm like, I don't think so. So it's like forgetting what the, what the point of the, that show was or the comic book series it's based on this book. We've got a huge worldwide planetary crisis about to happen. And instead of spending time, you know, with the people who are trying to put it down or, you know, I don't know, somebody more interesting. We're spending it with like the least interesting set of kids. Mm. And, and and he does them incredibly well, right? Like, I think he's really good at writing these characters and putting us in those scenes, but I just don't, I don't, I don't think I'm like learning anything from it, you know? And then I get to the, the, the cover up that we're, we're see from the transcripts. Um, and I'm like, okay, okay, this is the most interesting part. It's like, it mirrors what we're hearing about, uh, the lab leak. And like the head of the CDC, um, former head of the CDC saying, this is definitely, you know, I don't, I haven't seen the evidence, but this, I, I don't buy this as a, uh, you know, a, a, a wet market story. I buy this as a leak from the lab because it happens and it's in this town that's really well known for doing this. And then we start seeing evidence. Okay. Government is actually, uh, what's his name? Uh, Fauci testifying before congress uh with um uh rand what's the younger rand called not ron rand rand paul uh rand paul sent you know grilling fauci and saying look this is your definition of this and it's like there is a cover-up going on there is a lab leak um uh, there's no evidence there's a lab leak but there's strong evidence that it isn't a lab leak and and so like if you have a story where, <laughs> like this one, it's hinted at that this is, you know, they're doing it because they want to develop weapons. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of read it that the, that the doctor was a bit of a scapegoat because you have that. Yes, that's Stone possibly. It, it's, where they interviewed him. Yeah. And the author in here, maybe, maybe this is just me reading it. it yeah, and it's in GQ, right? I thought nothing he said was wrong. Right. Maybe he came up a little indifferent, but that could have just been the journalist. Yeah. I think that doctor was misserved by that journalist <laughs> and not for true. Well, it's in GQ. I was saying this guy's a psychopath. He's like a Mengele and all that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and then that's not a good the comparison. The actual scene says where he's quoted, he just says, like, yeah, worms are really tough and they're interesting and they're survivors. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, I wonder if he's the scapegoat in this universe. Yeah. Um, they, you know, GQ is, is not a, um, Oh, it was GQ. It was in GQ. Yeah. yeah. There's a, it's, you know, Max Kirkwood is the oldest looking 15 year old you'll ever see. I've, I've, what's, what's kind of nice about these, these interstices bits between the chapters is they're actually really well written. So seeing like, seeing him do all of these different things, like the, like the stuff about Alex Markson, I thought that that was like something Stephen King would have pulled off, right? It, he's got, he's got the chops, this guy, uh, Nick Cutter. He knows how to write. And that's why this is a huge success, right? Um, but what are we really getting? It's not, um, it's. Well, I took one or two things, maybe again too earnestly. Um, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is the weight loss book, right? Yeah. They're trying to use Which worms. Which is an interesting to idea. People to lose weight. Yep. And then so much of the horror is about eating and mm-hmm. violence towards animals. Yep. You could almost do, if you, maybe you gotta squint a little bit, but I don't think too hard. You could almost get like a vegan interpretation of this. It's like, yeah. this is. The violence that's daily Absolutely. in your belly. I mean, this goes on all the time, this kind of violence. And that's where like, it connects. At the Goodreads yeah. reviews. Mm-hmm. You get things like, uh, am I the only one bothered by the graphic animal abuse scenes in this book? <laughs> Without, like, of of what course someone else says? <laughs> I know this book has a trigger warning for animal abuse. Is it skippable or essential to the story? <laughs> and it's like, it's essential to your dinner. <laughs> Well, that uh, that you know, actually that scene with the turtle is that scene with the turtle is from Lord of the Flies, basically, right? It's about and and the thing is, is this this book did its job and it made me think about things that I don't think are very interesting, which is that I'm made out of meat, right? And that um, in order to exist on a planet where uh, everything is either trying to kill me or I'm trying to kill. Which is what, where we are, right? I, I was, I was picking gooseberries earlier today. Gooseberries want to be eaten, but they also don't want to be eaten too much, right? So, so they make delicious fruit, but if you go at them like, uh, a bear, you'll get thorns in your mouth. So you better have a thick tongue, right? There's a war against some, uh, some, some plants use their poisons or they use thorns to prevent us from taking them too much. And then there's other plants that are like, hey, take as much as you like. <laughs> right? But that's just the plants. So if you take that extra step and talk about, you know, the fact that your your hot dog didn't want to be eaten. <laughs> that it had teeth and it lived on a farm, a factory farm somewhere and and now those teeth are gone. This is all true. But I'd much, I'd much rather be afraid of the cosmic <laughs> nothingness feeling than the, oh my god, I'm made out of meat feeling. And I don't need the reminder because I already know it's, it's kind of like the sad story, right? We, we get old, we get feeble, um, and we get infections and that's disgusting. And it's like, ooh, <laughs> it's a book to gross you out about what you are. Um, and I think he does everything he's doing is is perfectly done. I can see why this is super well po- super um, popular 
for being so smooth and so good at what it's doing. But I'm like, why do I need to, why do I need this reminder? And it makes me wonder about all the other people. <laughs> like, why do they need this reminder? And I, I, well, I think I, it's just the ride. I never liked uh, roller coasters. They scared me. I think um, this, uh, like all the stuff about, um, you know, killing the turtle and having to try and eat the turtle because mm-hmm. they're starving and stuff like that. I mean, in terms of the sort of maybe vegan message or anti uh, factory farming <laughs> kind of me- uh, message. It's not I even, think, uh, it can't be, right? Because <laughs> it's not anti factory oh, farming. Yeah. There's no, there's, it's no, not, but, um, yeah. It's, uh, but it, I guess, but there is a certain, like, you know, they're pointing out how much regular people are removed from having to slaughter animals. Sure. You can, you don't need to be confronted by that at all. And these sort of boys who are at that, um, you know, adolescent phase, um, have to do that, right? Yep. And for the first time, they're confronted with the reality of where the food that they eat or the meat comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that's sort of making a point. I think that's an interesting thing. Um, because they're Boy Scouts, they've sort of been trained in these skills, sort of. Yes, sort of. Survive in the wild. But really, it's a coming from simulation. A, yeah, it's 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 from civilization. Um, this is Boy Scouts inside society, which is sort of giving you a little bit of a view of what it would really be like to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they're really put in this situation, and it's much more horrifying uh, than. But he, do, that but he doesn't really do anything with it. That's so like, uh, like there's some, mm. there's some things in here where I was like, this rings true. And then I'm like, Oh shit, my memory's wrong. So I, when I was a little boy, I was interested in scouting cause some friend of mine was in it or something. And I don't remember the details. And I, I we looked into it and there was like a catalog of all the stuff you needed to get. And I wanted the belt pouch and you know, the sash with all those achievements so I could light fires and all that stuff. This is all, all something Evan did, right? Yeah. And I take, I, I, I go to the meeting, and they're telling me I have to swear allegiance to the queen, a lady I've never met, <laughs> and to God, and I'm like, I, that guy don't exist, right? And and they, those kids did that in this book, right? They they all did that, and some of them took their oath seriously or something. Um, and then I was thinking, like, I'm thinking way more about that those soldiers uh, who are shooting the kid. Uh, and then, um, more importantly, I, I kept thinking about, you know, during World War One, there were scouts, right? <laughs> they, they, it just sort of started up in the late 1890s. Scouting was like worldwide after uh, it was very popular and was sort of quasi militaristic, right? And so they get all these scouts and they put them in the army and then they say, Hey, your fellow scouts you were just jamboreeing with from that other country back, back when. Hey, those are the guys on the other side of the trench. And then we get the meat grinder that is World War One, right? And we see the the guys who are all uh, scouts honored doing the merit badges and all the f- ribbons on their chest, right? Which is World War One. And then they start grinding those guys up. And then millions of millions and millions of and billions of dollars are being generated in, you know, making new uniforms and making grave signs for <laughs> and all the all the equipment and bullets and bombs and aircraft back home for a few guys who 
weren't stupid enough to have their kids get sent to the meat grinder, or if they did, you know, um, still have the compensation of being billionaires now. There's a lesson, right? Like, I take it away and like, damn, it really sucks to get ground up into, into chow, right? It, it, so when, when politicians tell me about World War One, they're all about how these are, uh, valorous and more importantly, Canada, it's all about it made us into a country. I'm like, pretty sure that happened in 1967. Why are you telling me, uh, that it was in World War One? Oh, well, you know, they make the explanation. It's like, oh, the battle of whatever, right? It's all propaganda. This is, this is kind of not propaganda at all. Right? But. Yeah, it's, it's not good to be, well, um. It's just nothing. There's no message. Yeah. I guess I would agree with that. I think, um, if, if there is an overall message, I think there's a lot of like little almost experiences. Yeah. It's full of like. Yeah. Interesting little scene here. Interesting little scene there. Um, but the overall, like at the ending, when Max goes back to the island, mm-hmm. I was sort of like a bit perplexed by it. Like mm-hmm. I see what he's doing mm-hmm. um, and what he's sort of going for. But I wasn't, it wasn't, that wasn't super satisfying to me. Um, the Like it didn't feel like it wrapped up in a nice cohesive thing where it's like, oh, I understood what this uh, book was about. I think I understood the scenes and the points he was trying to make at certain times. But um, when, like in the last scene, when he goes back and he's like, and he felt a hunger inside, I think yeah. he said or something uh, like I've that. I've got that whole chapter um, here. I'll read it. It's, it's only, yeah. oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, 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 50 here. Chapter 50. One evening, Max borrowed his uncle's boat and piloted towards Falstaff Island. His heart jogged faster as the island came into view. Rise, and notice it's borrowed his uncle's boat rather than stole. Rising against the horizon mm. like a, a hump of a breaching whale. There's all the goddamn synonyms. I, I started noticing them and like, he really likes synonyms, and it makes, you know, yeah. oh, not synonyms, similes. Sorry. Uh, the simile. He loves the similes. It was charred he black. Likes. So, oh, sorry. Nothing but the odd burnt tree spiking up from the earth. The water had the sterile chlorine smell of a public pool. It was the most desolate place we- he'd ever seen. It echoed the desolation inside of him. So that's technically good writing. The emptiness, dot, dot, dot. The emptiness? Question mark? Max leaned both hands on the gunwale. A nameless hunger was building inside of him. It gnawed his guts with teeth that had, that called his name. So it's like, oh, it's back, right? I guess. Well, I I interpreted that more as like, so he's been forever changed by this experience, right? Right. He he can't go back to the way he lived or saw the world before it, and I interpreted that not as being, oh, he's infected. I would have, I would have thought that was a bit of a cop out of an ending because it's just like, you know, it's like at the end of the movie, oh, Dracula's back again. Right. See him next time in the sequel. I thought this was, in this case, I thought it was more like, um, the experiences have, his eyes have been opened to the horror of the world or of reality, I suppose. And then, um, because of that, he's lacking the ability to have the fulfillment that maybe he would have been able to have if that hadn't happened. <laughs> you may be and overreading the, it, but uh, yeah, probably. Well, but, what do you think? Um, what, what, what is he doing then? What is he going out back to the Island for? It doesn't even make sense. Like if you were really hungry, you don't go to that Island. right? <laughs> well, and 
Well, no, I think he's just going back to see it. But um, but you're right. It's sort of like like first off, uh, I anybody else would be like, hey mate, don't go back to that island. His uncle should have been like, hey, why do you want, why do you want my boat? <laughs> don't go back there. Um, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like he's. I think. I think this is the way he had to end it in order to have it be finished because. The, mm. the, like, why do we need somebody to survive? Well, because otherwise, what did I read this book for is the answer, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so somebody has to, it's like a horror movie, right? Somebody survives, kills Jason until next time the movie comes out, you know, the sequel comes out or whatever, serial kill, Freddy Krueger, whoever it is, somebody survives, right? And then there's the question. Is there going to, is he going to have his dreams haunted from now on? So, um, I don't, I don't, I don't fault the ending for not being fully satisfying. I, I think if you take away that ending, um, the previous chapter ends. Sometimes Max wanted to rip it off and cough into his stupid sucker face fish. The amazing worm boy strikes again. So people are bullying him, which is a theme that Stephen King does this is a, a lot of bullying in this book but like even the surgery at the beginning of the book right or near the beginning of the book i'm like why is this happening you don't need to do that it's because i think it technically needed to happen right we uh, because well, of, of what he's fulfilling in this book the author I is suppose they, they also kind of needed to establish that the worm is inside them yeah right? otherwise only if it, it sort of like seems like late stages, maybe you can see the worm actually outside the body. But they need to know for that horror element that there is a living thing inside him and what it kind of looks like. Um, because it's pretty horrifying. But, uh, but it's <laughs> no, like... I didn't mind this too much because the... I mean, the boys are obviously put in this situation that's totally unknown to them. Mm-hmm. And they have to deal with it. And... Giving a moment, even though it's just a bit of the novel, of the scoutmaster, who's just this, I mean, he just, what, sore throats kind of yep. guy, right? Hangnails. Uh, <laughs> being put in this position where he's, like, got to push the limits of his, of his skills and his training. I, I, I kind of enjoyed that section. Um, there's a... Just because it, it does, it make, I mean, of course, it totally, like, undermines his authority in the course of the narrative right mm-hmm. like he starts out as the as the, the parental figure right and his utter failure at this this task just shows how, how helpless he is too I, th- I think it works yeah i i agree with that and it also I, yeah i agree it works i'm just like why like if you were in that situation <laughs> And this guy is like obviously incredibly sick, and you are somewhat familiar with surgery. Would you cut him open? No, I, mean, I don't know. You wouldn't I'm because you've seen that. horror movies yeah. and you disagree <laughs> with the characters who do st- like stupid shit, right? It's like it's just you know not to do. So it's like a horror movie trope. It needs to be done. It's like it's, it's an establishing shot. Like it's it's a recipe. And the thing is, is, um, this is a real message. It needs to be taken in. Uh, and my favorite guy to do it is Poe, but he doesn't, and he, he lingers. That's why Lovecraft loves him so much, right? He lingers over the disgusting. 
But not in the way this book does. This book is like, that's the whole ride. The whole ride is the gross out. It's like, instead of going on the, on the roller coaster and you go up and up and up and you get that sense of anticipation and then you go down, right? And then you go up and up and up and around the corner, around the corner and then slow down to a breaking stop and you say, my heart is beating, right? Uh, instead, you get on this ride and it's like, he's climbing up and then big pile of guts falls off. <laughs> And then it goes around the corner, and then some kid's cutting on his arm. It's like, <laughs> and then he's like, "Hey, this other kid wants to pull this guy's scalp off." And it's like, <laughs> it's mostly it's it's um. There's some author, uh, yeah. It was it wasn't it King saying go go for the gross out if you can't go for the freak out or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, we well, got the the gross out. Or terror. Yeah, yeah. And this is, this is, it, it is fear. All of it's fear. But the, the loving depiction of the gross out, it, it's like, it reminded me a lot of the Hannibal Lecter movie, whichever one it was, where he's got, uh, some, uh, I want to say his name is Ray. I can't remember the actor's name, but he's got somebody's top of his head off and he's sauteing his, his brain and feeding it to him. Like, it's a thing. <laughs> it's something to do. <laughs> but a Hannibal yeah. Lecter no, I, is I not know, I, for I me. It's so useful to remind people of this at at times. Um, at, so it's like, like it's what's so, what do you find in The Exorcist is the most like creepy scene? For me, it's the medical scene, like where mm. you see her being prodded and they're doing drawing the blood and all that stuff. Mm. Like that's hard to watch. Mm. Like, I, I still have trouble watching just like on TV people getting the needle, mm. right? And I, that's why I find that scene in The Exorcist the, the hardest to watch. I think they're putting like a needle into her throat or something. Mm. It's a pretty mundane, everyday thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Intubating. Put up whatever, yeah. face it. You know, that's why I think the vegan interpretation of this book <laughs> kind of whole. It's because that is like, every day for quite a lot of beings on our planet. Uh, mm, yeah, absolutely. Horror, horror, uh, horror is absolutely there, but I, I like. I, I want to. I it's it's explicitly called out in this book. It's it's not full of illusions, but there's a chapter. Uh, it's page one sixty nine, uh, chapter ending, and then you know to the new chapter page, or chapter twenty four. Um, after chapter twenty three, it says devourer versus conqueror worms: the dual nature of the modified hydatid. Right, an excerpt from a paper given by blah 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 blah. Right, and then so we get a description of of what they're doing. Right, and so even even in the um, the uh, non narrative portion of the text, non the non island boys part, we actually still have kind of that style of writing. Um, yeah. uh, th- this rarely happens. Even the of worst course covered up by this academic. Yeah, jargon. yeah. This rarely happens. Even the worst hydatid infestation can be flushed out with proper medication. But the video footage recovered, like, when they do the, this, this sort of subject is doing this, and then eventually we get subject is, and are, I suppose these are supposed to be tapes rather than sentences written down by somebody, because nobody said, Jesus, God, what the? Right, like, they wouldn't, it's like mm. the end of a Lovecraft story where he says, the window, the window, wait, period. Window, period. <laughs> I'm being dragged to the window. Or whatever. It's, it's, um, it's audio tapes. I, I suppose we're supposed to think. But, um, 
The Conqueror Worm by Edgar Allan Poe is a gruesome, awesome story about worms. It's explicitly called out here. But he's got two in, in this. He's got the Devourer versus Conqueror Worms. Um, that's the metaphor he's going for, right? And this hybridity and the experiments to get this diet pill thing going, right? Um, but if you read Poe, it's, um, it's beautiful and it combines cosmic horror, but also it, it just, it does the whole job in like less than a page. I'm going to read it. Lo, tis a gala night with lone, within the lonesome latter years, an angel throng, bewinged, bedight, in veils and drowned in tears, sit in a theater to see a play of hopes and fears, while the orchestra breathes fitfully the music of the spheres. So I'll just translate that into modern understood uh, English. Basically, there's some angels watching a play, right? And the lonesome latter years is it's sometime in the future of Earth, is my interpretation, but it's correct. <laughs> Mimes in the forms of God on high mutter and mumble low, and hither and thither fly, mere puppets they who come and go, at bidding of a va- of vast formless things that shift the scenery to and fro, flapping from out their condor wings, invisible woe. This is uh, highly interpretable, but the mimes are us, in the forms of God, right? We're running around the earth doing all sorts of silly things, you know, going to pick up pizza, delivering pizza, uh, making pizza at home, <laughs> all sorts of things. Not all, we, not all of them involving pizza. And then something happens. That motley drama, oh, be sure it shall not be forgot, with its phantom chased forevermore by a crowd that sees it not, and sees this spelled S-E-I-Z-E, through a circle that ever returneth in to the self-same spot, and much of madness and more of sin and horror, the soul of the plot. So if you dig deep into what this means, it's basically saying we are our own worst enemy because we keep birthing ourselves. And it's a horror show, right? You give birth, that's scary. But even worse, your kid dies or your wife dies in childbirth. And then that kid who grows up, they get a wife and they make a kid. And that kid gets a horrible disease that makes them go blind. And then they had two kids and one of them, you know, like it, it, it's a horror show, this body thing, right? Then we continue. But see, amid the mimic mimic rout, a crawling shape intrude, a blood-red thing that rise from out the scenic solitude. It rise, it rise with mortal pangs. The mimes become its food, and seraphs sob at vermin fangs in human gore imbued. Uh, last stanza. Out, out are the lights, out all, and over each quivering form the curtain a funeral pall comes down with the rush of a storm while the angels all pallid and wan uprising unveil a firm unveiling a firm the the play is the tragedy man capital m and its hero the conqueror worm this is not so much about cosmic horror as it is about just being alive right poe's wife's dying and everybody around them you know getting diseased and him looking around and seeing, ooh, it's, it's kind of gross, all these diseases that we're getting. And, you know, I'm eating food made of meat. It's kind of gross. And yet, it's going to come to an end. And the tragedy of this, this play 
entitled man. It's the same, like, that's a more high-end version of what the message of here is not you should go vegan. It's like you shouldn't exist because you're gross and you're going to get infected. I'm like, well, you're right. (laughs) I guess. I don't, I, I think it's just that ride only. Is there nothing more substantial here? I'm, I'm looking for it. I think that is that the whole appeal of body horror? Cause I feel like when watch, when I watched that, um, I haven't seen the cabin, the cabin one you mentioned, Will. Uh, the oh, cabin. I, I bet that, what, cabin fever? Yeah, I haven't seen that, but I've seen like the Cenobite one, right? That's sort of what, what's pin, the one with Pinhead, whatever that one's it's called. It's Hellraiser. Hellraiser, right? So that one, it has like a kind of, uh, Lovecraftian element, right? There's things from outside that are, we can use as a metaphor to describe our situation or the mm. horror of nightmare, right? And that we, we are fear to sleep. It's very relatable. And I, this is totally relatable too, except I don't want to be, I, I don't, I just want to take those pills that make me not have, uh, those bugs. I want to go to the doctor <laughs> and get dewormed. But, but here, Jesse, now you sound like the Goodreads uh, yeah, yeah, critics. Yeah. They're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to read about animals being tortured. No, I don't. Or, I don't. I don't. Yeah, it's. I don't want to watch the videos either. I need to do trigger warning before this. <laughs> it's not. It the, a, it's um, not the trigger warning I need. It's it's uh, the uh, you tell me it's got horrible conditions in the video. I I'll believe you, right? I don't want to spend my time on it because it's too scary. It's too horrific. It makes me have nightmares. I'm sorry. Yeah. You were gonna say, Connor? Okay, so I was just thinking. Here's one way. Something I maybe would have liked, or one way you could change this book. Um, so you were saying the, uh, you were mentioning Hellraiser, right? Yeah. Part of, I think like Hellraiser is just, it's just a cool story. I think I, you know, it's not the, it doesn't have any fantastic message. But one thing that I read that, that you pointed out was that it's about these outer yeah. sort of forces. One thing that would have been cool in this book is if it didn't have, the snippets and world building of those like ac- academic papers and magazine yeah. articles. Oh yeah, it could I be see- supernatural. Absolutely. I s- well, not even supernatural, but like it would appear to uh, them to be supernatural, right? It- yeah, it def- it could it could be. Um especially if it wasn't um uh you you could we could walk that line, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you didn't have it explicitly like the surgery and knowing what mm-hmm. exactly that there was some sort of a worm, it would be almost like, how is this? Just is a this description thing? of what's happening, um, right? No info dump at all. Yeah. Yeah. And you have that and as well. Like, then you are in Lovecraft territory. With like Indeed. Color out of space. Yeah. So, Definitely. And, um, and I'm not a big fan of that, well, that story it. either. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. sad and disgusting. <laughs> One of the best scenes in this book, I thought, was when they saw the speedboat get mm. taken down mm-hmm. by the military yep. and they all stood on the beach and said, what the hell was that? <laughs> right. It's they're seeing it from the inside. And I guess that's a big thing with, with cosmic horror, right? Mm-hmm. Is like you're on the inside looking out at things you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have to try and fit those into what you know about the world, but they don't quite fit. Right. And that was a good scene because, okay, these guys are on the Island. Something's going on. They know the military or somebody is outside quarantining everything, mm-hmm. but they don't have any of that information. 
And that's a very, that's much more scary yes. than when you're given the explanation in these snippets between, not that it's wrong, it's just a different way of doing it. But um, have either of you ever seen a movie called uh, Pontypool? Yeah, it's a great movie. You have? A terrific movie. Yeah, yeah. What I, what I Pontypool. About, it's named sorry? after a town that's in Ontario, Pontypool. Pontypool changes everything as the story. And it's it's a yeah. zombie zombie, but with words. <laughs> exactly. But what I love about that one is that it's so um so Evan, like it's a zombie movie, but it takes place from a radio station and they are getting reports in from them. People are calling in and telling them about things that are happening. But they're only getting little snippets, at least for the start. Mm-hmm. And they and they don't really know what's happening. And that's like really, to it's a me, little bit like a really scary. Thing. A little bit like the Nightwire by H. F. Arnold. Exactly um, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's you know that ends differently, but it's it's uh, it's the not knowing, right? So it, the, when yeah. you when you're watching The Mist, right, not knowing what's out there is more powerful than you know getting it was definitely this experiment we did earlier that we showed you in you know, a video of is like, if, if you, I, I, I'm confident that if you went in here and took out all the, uh, interstices between the chapters, um, and then if you even started a little after the, uh, you just started with chapter 10, Jesus, Jesus Christ, what is that? Right. Mm. Uh, you know, it starts, Having him doing the work of explaining all of this background world building for this this inf- infection, zombie infection, um, that's really gross, right? It takes over and goes in your mouth, and then there's this guy. Like that's all horrible, all wonderful. Um, but putting it, putting it, it's like those interstices kind of reassure you in a way. That the body horror stuff is it makes it cleaner, <laughs> if you see what I mean. It's like you're you can just enjoy the uh, the worry about the infection and not worry about like who caused the infection or what what causes the infection. Right? Is it spread? So it, it gives you a bit more stable ground to understand and and view the story. Yeah. So uh, there's some stuff in here about a virus, right? And it's not really like uh, if you if you say oh it's a COVID book right it's popular because of COVID I would say mm, yeah kind of but um, the it's not COVID's not as gross right <laughs> this is more this is all about the it's in your meat it's swimming behind your eyes right it's it's gonna digest you over a thousand years or whatever and and more importantly it's gonna be something inside the back of your head telling you what to do. And you're going to be like one of these guys you're seeing. And and it just repeats that recipe over and over again. That's why you have so many Boy Scouts, right? So we can see the infection spread from character to character. And you can lampshade it as much as you want. You put, you know, say the reason he needs, the doctor thinks he needs as an assistant is because of, and he doesn't really know why. Well, I, I, I know why. It's because you need to have that infection spread. But he didn't sort of go whole hog and say, this is a, a cosmic fear. It's more like, no. it's more like it's just a plain old infection, 
right? It's if you get some of it on you, you you get it. And so, like, not knowing which boy is infected, and the boy who's who's worried about, you know, so worried about his being infected that he's cutting into himself. Um, it's it's it, it kind of makes me think of like. I don't watch Star Trek for the phaser fights. Phaser ha- fights happen on Star Trek, but they happen a lot more on on Enterprise because it was stuff stuff to do, rather than mm-hmm. uh, and that people think it makes uh, the recipe more interesting. And you know, uh, he's sold a lot of books here, so I'm not I'm not saying he's doing it wrong. I'm just saying um, it's it doesn't give me what I'm looking for. Well. I, I'll agree with you a little, Jesse, on, like, I recently watched The Strain. Yeah, that's a good, that's it's, actually it's, very similar to this, now that, yeah, now that but you... Yeah, like, they take the, the vampire thing. Mm-hmm. It just takes, like, a zombie thing, mm-hmm. and it says worms. And there, they just take the vampire thing and make it worms. Mm. And I think one reason that series, I didn't read the books, but one reason that series sort of dragged towards the end is maybe because everything was sort of explained. Early on, it was just the worms, but it became that kind of body horror. It works really well, though. That 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 I but forgot. That music, I forgot about. Like, worms are kind of gross. They know. are absolutely, and, and getting inside you and um, I mean, maybe it's a low hanging fruit then for for cutter. When when you're a kid and you first by worms, so. when you first hear about tapeworms and what they can do, you know, like you probably almost want to hear it at a Boy Scout, <laughs> you know, hike. Because they're so fucking disgusting, it's a good way to get a rise out of your fellow campers, right? Telling, telling, uh, some, like, recounting disgusting details, it's a way of emotionally manipulating other people, which is something boys like to do, right? <laughs> it's just, it's a yeah. way, way of being. But there, there's a line in this book, though, which I think was interesting, where they said people will actually infect, infect themselves with tapeworms to lose weight, mm-hmm. right? That was inspiration for this whole, Right. Pharmaceutical experiment. Mm-hmm. True story. Yeah. yeah. And that was a real thing. That's kind of, that, that's a little fascinating for me because, well, like, I, I kind of worry about my weight too. Either, you know, not, I don't think I'm overweight, but something I've focused a lot about. I've been working out a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's, you can understand the obsession. Like, if someone really wants to lose weight, they'll go to these extreme measures. Absolutely. And I kind of really like that aspect of this this book, I guess. He, he dwells on it. <laughs> the fact that it is such a, a mundane thing, but it's something so many people want, right? It's it's a perfect, you know, uh, the fact that it's uh, the pharmaceutical leak, right? Mm-hmm. That it's a, just a weight loss drug. I think that's great. Uh, it's realistic for it sure. Things people really obsess about. Yeah, worry about. It's legit. I, I, I was funny. Um, I don't usually have the paper book of whatever you know. If if it's a modern book, I don't usually have the paper book. But I do have this one. And here's something that's not in the audiobook. So you guys probably never got a chance to read it. I'll read it to you here. It's the acknowledgments right after chapter fifty. Yeah. Uh, thank you. It's usually it's like not just you know thanks to my editor or wife or this is quite long couple pages. Thank you for to my father who read the rough manuscript and said, son, you may have something here. I don't know what that something is, to be honest, but it's something. <laughs> to, to my agent, kick-ass Kirby Kim, who wasn't repelled enough by the subject matter to dismiss it out of hand. He may have even said something like, quote, 
we could actually have something here, possibly, <laughs> to, to my editor, Ed Schlesinger, who put the manuscript through the proverbial wood chipper, gathered the shreds, and helped me put them back together, then said, quote, hell, we just may have something here. <laughs> uh, to Scott Smith, who kindly read the manuscript and offered some fantastic suggestions, all since implemented. Thank you, Ian Rogers, who proofed the typeset pages and caught all of my goof-ups, and to Derek Hounsel for creating the Thestamax ad. Um, uh, I probably could be extract some info from that Thestamax. Um, I'd like to thank Stephen King, whose first novel, Carrie, was a great inspiration to me while I was writing. The use of newspaper clippings, interviews, and magazines profiles seemed a perfect way to tell not only Carrie, but also the troupe. Where so much information is unknown to the main characters, yet must be related to the readers. Seeing how artfully Mr. King employed these devices, I figured I'd, uh, borrow that structure? Steal? Lord, I hope not. Let's just say I found the narrative cathar- uh, chassis of Carrie to be perfect for my uses and grafted my own story on it. If you've read the book and are now reading this, hopefully you'll agree that the plot of Carrie, a story about a telekinetic girl with a really bad mom who wants to, who rains death and destruction on her small-minded hometown and the plot of the troop are about as dissimilar as any of the two books could be. That said, I want to honor the master, so honor paid. Finally, I want to thank Colleen, the love of my life, corny, sure, but it also happens to be the literal truth, and Nicholas, our son. There was a time when I... He named his kid after his pseudonym. <laughs> there was a time when I wrote almost solely for myself. I don't anymore. I write for our family. I'm deeply grateful to be able to do so. So, he's not taking it literally to heart what he's writing here, right? Because if he was, he would... He, he'd be talking about, like, <laughs> those things that he's eating, right? That are eating him. Eating He's eating for a, for a family now. <laughs> All those discuss like it's just a book. It's a scary, scary book, Um, and it's about uh, tapeworms. When I first learned about them, I'm like, "That's disgusting, right? That's really gross." And then you find out this is throughout nature, right? That they're everywhere, and he even talks about them a bit in this book, right? It's it's kind of like that visceral. It's really visceral, gross out. And I'm like, oh, he, he managed to make a very good book about visceral gross out. But I don't feel like it has any, it's like there's no substance to it other than it's, you know, lays a certain amount of uh, grams. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe. Uh, it's, a, it's a cheeseburger. Uh, yeah. Nice, tastes delicious. You know, um, there's a movie I watched. Um, it's based on another um Clive Barker book. It's called The Midnight Meat Train. I think it's based on a short story. Um, and it's, it's a lot like, um, there's a, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the weird tale story, but it's another weird tale story, very famous one set in the underground of New York where there's a bunch of creatures that live down there and chuds basically. And chud? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's it not, it's, the movie's not London, chud. Though. Huh? Yeah, that's in London or something. Yeah, um, I'm try- I can't remember the name of the story, but I've done a show on it. And basically, it's about monsters. Yeah, there's a London, yeah, there's a movie. There's a whole bunch of stories that are basically that story uh, where people in the underground uh, interact with people from the overground. <laughs> um, so this is a, a little bit like that, but it's so dreamlike. 
it's so much like a, it's so unrealistic. Um, there's no, you know, it's all explainable by science that it becomes something more. It's a, it's like a, it is a weird tale, but as a, a body horror, that's weird. Like that, that has an effect that I, I still think about the imagery from that in a way that I won't, won't think about the image. Like this is disgusting. And the scene with the, you know, the boy digging into his leg and then chopping in the head and the, the the turtles. And then they have the turtles. They're going to help the baby turtles into the ocean right after they, (laughs) they stabbed its mom to death. Right. And like, it's, it's muddled. It doesn't have a message. <laughs> it's just the thing that it is. In, 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 when you watch The Thing, which is this very scary movie, right? Really scary and very much body horror. There's a, there's a, a cosmicness to that body horror that makes you dread in the same way, but it's like, it's just, it works. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure why this doesn't work other than that it doesn't have that, that extra layer. It's all what it is. I feel. Mm. And yet it's incredibly well written, right? Like it flows really well. And the characters are very realistic. Mm. Right? You had no character. Well, you do have the, great. I don't know. But, I think, I think you do have the, like the whole military angle, the the pharmaceutical industry not really caring about the people it's supposed to serve. Yeah, I mean, but it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't pay there. off at all. It's just there as as serving serving to explain how the events are unfolding. I, you know. Oh shit! Is that me lost? Did we? Lo- who did we I'm lose? Here. Did you lose me? No, we must have lost Connor. Uh, no, I can eat. Okay. No, no, just I'm here. Cut out, I guess. Oh, well, that was a very. I, I do think there are ways to read this book that have meaning. Please. Significant meaning. Whether it's like just even like the bureaucracy of it all. Uh, the, yeah. I mean, even just the government cover up. I mean, even that is something. Yeah. I, I don't, I wouldn't go as far as to say there's like nothing there beyond the body horror. I just don't feel like they they didn't spend any time on that, right? It's sort of it's it reminds me a lot of in movies where there's an end of the world, you know, like some comet's about to hit the earth or something, and they spend a lot of time watching. The camera spends a lot of time looking at people watching TV as to see what's happening in New York or San Francisco or wherever some disaster's happening, rather than showing us directly. They show us the reactions to it's. Is uh, there's a whole genre on YouTube, right? Reaction videos, um, and I I think that that it's it's all just to manipulate emotion rather than to try and deliver a kind of experience in uh, understanding in a way that um, I don't know more more depth has things with more depth have, and I I, I agree that there are potentials, but like. I, I was thinking, like, why aren't the Americans in on this? And at one point, they talk about Apache helicopters flying, right? Canada doesn't have any Apache helicopters. That's just not, you know, lots of countries do. Canada doesn't have them. We have Chinooks and we have other stuff. 
So why does he have the Apaches there? It's so they can blow shit up, right? The boats in the water. Um, and we got the admiral talk, you know, talking and we've got a corporal talking about, you know, he's just following orders. One of the keywords, blah, blah, blah. And then the admiral saying, not answering a question as to who he takes orders from. Uh, well, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you can go another direction is he takes orders from the U S government, nice moment, right? He says, yeah. I don't take orders from anyone, but right. in the interview, he yeah. admits he's taking orders. Yes, but he won't say who it's from, right? So is he ta- like you could read it as he's taking orders from the bug inside him, <laughs> which is like a whole different way that the book doesn't go, right? I, I think I think Cutter did a lot with this this story. I I think it's a technically I, I good book. It. It's uh, I think it's a really technically good book, but there's almost nothing in it. Is what I'm saying. It's like it's it is mostly scenes of of. It, it's why I hate that books that, um, that, uh, the one he quotes from at the beginning, the Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. Right? In that case, they, they turn to, they turn to, the, it's supposed to be really significant. They turn to Satan, right? The Lord of the Flies. Um, and give him a sac- sacrifice the pig's head. Um, and it's like, the message of that book is like, kids will turn on each other or something like that. And uh, I'm like, mm. people in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a microcosm, right, uh, of the adults who, who fucked up the war outside. But we don't spend any time with that war outside. It's all on the island, right? The fact that you can totally, and most people do, when they read the book, they do not notice that it's set during World War Three because it spends no time there. It's just for like a, one line. It's all about what's happening on the island. Yeah, I think, um, like... Because, like, Jesse, uh, you'd like, you know, um, utopia stuff. How is stuff set up? What's mm-hmm. the bigger picture mm-hmm. and stuff going on? Mm-hmm. Whereas I would say that I'm usually – see, I, I've never actually read Lord of the Flies. But I do like the idea or the way he might have gone about that um, with just having it in the background. And it's like if you don't notice it, if you're not paying attention, you might not notice it. I sort of like that. Um, yeah, you don't need to necessarily a hundred percent point it out and go into a massive amount of detail. Um, but yeah, I but I see your point. What's the one set in Australia that's during World War Three, where they take a submarine down from the UK to, or make, maybe it's an American submarine? You know the one I mean? Some um, famous author made into movies. You think of uh, Tomorrow When the War Began? No. Although that sounds good. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, that one's good as well. Like, that's a classic of, like, uh, an Australian, um, literature, I suppose. Or, uh, no, this is a really British good, author. It's a good book. I'm trying to remember the name. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm um, not sure what the one you're talking about. He's an aircraft, um, aircraft guy as well. It's, it's, uh, it's, we've done a show on it. And it's, it's terrific because it's like, they hold out hope that they're going to survive because the war happened in the global north, right? And the way the air systems work, there's not a lot of interaction between the southern hemisphere and the northern hemisphere. But it turns out that they're wrong. And, you know, that, yeah, the radiation's coming for them, too. Um, mm. And it... Well. Guys, one thing I... Like, I think one mistake in this book may have been... Giving the the idea that this was like a military experiment, 
Yeah, it, it's muddled. Because I, I think, like, The Stand or a lot of other lab leak books, it's like the the easy way to go with the lab leak is, yeah, the government's trying to create a super weapon. Mm-hmm. And they, they fuck it up, right? That's what happens in The Stand. But here, it's it's pretty mundane. It's like a weight loss drug, right? It's, and it's mixed. I love that it's aspect muddled. of it. I, I think it's because it's, everyone wants that. Maybe not uh, yeah, but a whole he, lot of people he, want that. He throws in. It's not believable. He that, he throws in that part about the. because they're trying. People are trying to lose weight. But he throws in the part where he said, "Where did this other funding come from?" Right. And so yeah, it's that, it's muddled. It's muddled. Need. I think it would have been better if it was just these guys well, trying to. I don't. I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that when you know Fauci is funding the Wuhan lab. That he's trying to cause a global pandemic and kill everybody. It's just fucking stupid. Yeah. It's 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 basically yeah. money politics. My bureaucracy can fund things around what the president wants, whether he likes it or not, by doing it this way. I can legalize my way out of it by giving the money to another agency, which I have command over, and can send it that way and get around the thing. Because my scientists want to do it, and I think it's a good idea, but more importantly, it expands my empire. Right, that or it's even more mundane than that. We have this money, and and like exactly, uh, we need to spend it. Lab, and and they'll do what they want with it. That's much more interesting than just like the military making a super weapon. Yeah, and it's 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 muddled in here, right? So the the all of that background material is only, I think, to get us to this island. And get get the show of seeing these what's happening to these boys. I was wondering if we were ever going to go back to to the mainland. Oh, no, I was calling it the mainland. Back to Prince Edward Island proper from this fictional nearby island and see if anything, uh, you know, was happening there. But we don't, right? Uh, you know, the reason the parents didn't come to pick them up is they are under quarantine. Okay, um, so he's hiding that information from us, but he's not hiding all the information that. You know, would make it eerie in a way that, right? It, it becomes. I think it's like he needs to put that in that stuff in there, otherwise it just becomes unrealistic. Because this is not a this is not a horror movie of of the Freddy Krueger kind. It's a it's a horror movie of the. Um, it could it's happen mundane. to you. Yes, that's, mundane. That's kind of what I like about it. Yeah, but it's it, it's it. it yeah, yeah. I I was thinking of the movie. By the way, it's called On the Beach. Um, it's by Neville Shute, who uh, was from the UK and then he moved to Australia. Um, he, mm, he, he, I great, think I know great writer. Name. He's a really good writer, really clear and um, big long career. Um, but that that that's this. It's it's what have we done? What have we wrought? World War Three thing, but it's with adults in that they are facing what they've done, what their system is and how, you know, you hold out hope. Um, here it's, it's much more visceral and a lot less, um, like it, it, it's, I don't feel like I'm participating in the book at all. Mm. You know, by the way, I just looked up on the beach as a complete left turn. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it's got a, it's got a, Pretty great cast in there. Oh, it's, it's got gr- Fred Astaire. Uh, the, there's a TV movie as well, but the original movie's good. Yeah, 
Okay, I have to. It's Gregory check. Peck, um, Ava Gardner. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, um, it's a solid movie, but it's it's also a great book. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, Evan, I I agree with you that I would really like the angle of the banality of just a pharmaceutical, in a way, just like the greed and uh, superficiality creating this horrible thing that is in in the antithesis of um, beauty. <laughs> it's uh, body horror, right? Yeah. Um, that would be a gr- that would be a uh, a great sort of theme, but it seemed like it wasn't. Hmm, he wasn't clear on it. He he wanted to have he wanted to have it be plot. It, it's literally what you know. It's a lampshade, right? The whole point is he's got this. It's like he he's a. We all had that. I'm sure you all knew about these tape tapeworm things before you read this book, right? You'd heard of them. <laughs> you know they're bad. Mm-hmm. How yeah. they you know interact with bodies. That's all scary stuff. So that's what this book is. And then there's the the build up. The world is built up around it to make it as scary as it is. And the thing is, is it's very well done, right? So when he's describing the inner, inner views of what people are thinking, um, you know that uh, that lurking voice in the background and the worry that you're infected and all that stuff. Um, it's good. But it doesn't have um, it doesn't have anything else. Uh, like I, yeah, I guess it's there's no participation. It's just the it's it's like when you're on a roller coaster, right? Um, as opposed to in a, a video game where, and there are some video games that do this as well, where you're on rails and you can't go left and right. You're subject rather than than. Uh, I mean, you can throw the book across the room, right? <laughs> Um, and, you know, refuse to keep reading it, which I'm sure some, some people have done. And I've done with the occasional books, but usually I don't throw it. I just like, this is not for me. Um, if you, if you've got no room for you, you know, when you go into a haunted house show, you feel like you can go left or right, even if you can't. Here, it's, it's literally on rails. It's all spoon fed to you. And, ooh. Gross. <laughs> and it works. It's very effective, but I don't feel like I'm, uh, like with Stephen King, there's space to mull, you know? I feel. And I haven't read that much Stephen mm. King, but I feel like there's space to mull. Yeah, there is. And I think it's coming from his unconscious. I don't think that any of this is unconscious here. I think it's all conscious. It's, it's hard to actually nail down what is the exact thing because like you, you know sometimes it's so kind of ephemeral what it is that lends that uh, gravitas to something yeah you know like like why is the thing more horrifying and a classic when um this book didn't quite hit that which you know which is a bit unfair like comparing everything to a, a classic of the genre yeah um like this is a pretty damn good book so um, yeah uh but i but yeah i see what you mean like it's hard to he's he um he kind of is hitting all the right points um but he didn't quite have that uh there's no half whatever it was it doesn't yeah, it doesn't little, it, it, you don't carry it with you when you're done mm, yeah but uh, think let's think about How, how is this book supposed to be received, right? Is it a, is it, 
isn't just to be made into a movie. I don't know. It's probably he's probably not aiming for that. That'd be nice, maybe. But when I read a Stephen King book, I I feel like he's not. He doesn't think about that at all. He's just like got something niggling inside him, and he feels like mm. he's got to get it out. Um, and it shows up and it it grows on the page. Whereas I feel this is more. Um, it it was one thing, and and it's it's book length. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think he was. I don't think it was necessarily like he was, you know, trying to get it made or making it to be ri- to be turned into a movie or anything. Like no, that. no. Um, but uh, he's really good at writing. Mm. I'm interested. Are any of you, either of you guys gonna um, pick up one of his other books? The yeah. uh, the one I think it's called In the Deep was another one that he's yeah, I was written. Looking at his, I was taking a look at it, his and I was stuff. like, "Hey, that looks." This is this is his first book as well, by the way. Uh, yeah, I think it's first. I think it's not his first book because he has like short stories before that. But um, you know that that uh, short story collection came out before that. But his first might be his first novel, and he also has another mm. name, right, that he writes under, Craig Davison Davidson. Um, yeah, at least two uh, two other names he writes under. Uh. Yeah, I'm not sure, but this is this is the one that hit hit big. He's got a book from 2005 mm-hmm. called Rust and Bone. That's the sh- uh, short story collection. And you know, one of the things I read about him is uh, that he, in order to promote his book, he like he took a bunch of steroids and and took on two boxing matches. Uh, there were b- books about some book about boxing, right? Um, that's a guy who's willing to do pretty much anything to become a <laughs> hit. Mm. You know, listening to Evan talk about how much he cares about promoting his podcast, it's not that much, right? Just like me, I'm not willing to do a lot of things. But if you were willing to, uh, you know, beef... Yeah, Davidson went on a 16-week steroid cycle to promote the release of the novel. Davidson participated in a fully sanctioned boxing match against a Toronto poet in a gym. Subsequently, awesome. right. So, like, this is much more like, um, this is something that I, I, Hemingway, I mean, Hemingway would do, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but not really, because Hemingway was just living that life, I think. I don't think he cared that. Uh, maybe I, maybe I don't know enough about Hemingway. Um, uh, this, that sounds more like something like Daniel Day Lewis, mm, like a method actor yeah, yeah, would do yeah. to get into the, yeah, he's good at he's good at he's very method. I think that that's the right way mm. of describing. Um, he's 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 examined the the field. He knows what he likes, and he's determined to replicate the the effect that he's going for. And that these are not bad mm. things. These are not bad things at all. It's just it it. I feel like uh, Evan, you you sent me a and you're very bad about this, by the way. Sending me uh, direct messages about the book. It's probably off in the bathroom right now. Anyways, no, he's, here. <laughs> he said, "Well, the the violin in the void." Uh, yeah, there was a review, four out of ten. Right? I was thinking there is a way to rank books. It's basically you get all the books that you've ever read and you put them uh, in order from you know the best one at the top of the list and the worst well, at the bottom. That ranking software they have on the on the internet. And I think you get very stuck because and a lot of people do these videos where they'll they'll, they'll, they'll rank things. Because I've been 
like looking at Stephen King on mm-hmm. YouTube. Yeah, a lot of people are ranking their books. Yeah, I was thinking I could never do this. No, right? Like there's S A B C D, and there's a, a program that lets you do that, mm-hmm. and you can kind of live stream your <laughs> your your commentary. So you could do that with all the books, I guess. Yeah, all the books you ever read, but. You know, like, or you could do an analysis. How how much did he talk about this book? Right, <laughs> go back over this all, all his recordings. He's, he's always talking about Neuromancer. Must be a good book. He must rank it number one. And just based on this analysis I've done, it was his favorite book. Right, <laughs> and then there'll be some books he talks about as being the worst book ever. He, he, maybe he protests too much. Right, <laughs> so there are ways of ranking things out of you know some sort of scale but i just i don't rank this this one as substantial it's just really just it's just a well done exercise in body horror and and i don't i haven't read a lot of, i don't think i've read any clive barker in prose at all but um it translates to film pretty well it's scary and it's it's creepy uh i haven't read too much clive barker either but um from i uh I've read The Hellbound Heart, and I've been told that I really need to read um, <laughs> The Great and Secret Show is oh, another one. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. But I, I vaguely remember when I read The Hellbound Heart, I was like, hey, this had some chops on it. Like, um, it wasn't just a really cool – it was a cool idea mm-hmm. and really uh, it was a great um, sort of world-building – I don't know. It was a great world that he created. And I wanted to know more about it and see more stuff in there. But also it felt like there was really good writing um, in terms of uh, the characters in it. Um, and it felt like it had what you were talking about, which is a bit more of that heft, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah. Yeah, how, how are we going with this, by the way? I might have to... Uh, I, we might be done. It's That's fine. We could be done. Have anything else to say? Right. We read a book. Yeah, it wasn't the worst book I've ever read. <laughs> I guess, like, uh, I guess a comparison to Farmer in the Sky because we just did it, right? Like, there, there's uh, an interesting comparison. Like the Boy Scout values, were, like Heinlein was trying to promote them mm-hmm. and push them here. I guess that's a theme in the book. Is so there are some characters that do a little bit better than others. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a superficiality to the Boy Scout. I mean, it wouldn't have had to have been Boy Scouts, right? It could have been by friends just, you know, on a camping trip. Yeah. Uh, it's a gimmick. Know, it's a gimmick. Much it sticks in it. your head. There's references to these Boy Scout values, but I guess I'm not sure how many of the characters actually fulfilled them. Maybe new. Maybe the leader, like, trying to save that guy's life. That's, yeah. that's why I think maybe that surgery scene can be redeemed a little bit. Mm. I feel like it, it was just there for the purpose. Do the best he can. And, and yeah, but we kill them off, right? That's the whole point, is, like, is now their kids are on their own, right? It, it is getting them to the island of... of um, that's why they kill off all the adults in... Um, in William Golding's Lord of the Flies, They're, they have Are to they be killed. There? I think no, they're yeah, they're, they're dead. They're dead at the beginning of the book, right? Yeah. It's all these boys. It's <laughs> he he has a message there. I don't like his message. 
I think he's <laughs> actually the the adults are fairly prominent in this book in flashback and memory. Yes, they are. People think about their fathers and their yeah. their mothers. And the characterization is really good, mm-hmm. but I don't really look. I don't read for characterization. Well, they're kind of stereotypical. You got like the fat kid. You got who's misunderstood, right? Yeah. Newton. Yeah. Got like the jock kind of character. I guess mm-hmm. Ephraim yeah. sort of fits that. Yeah. Uh, uh, the hidden the, 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 psychopath. Kent. Kent. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kent's the jock. Yeah, Kent's the, yeah, Kent's the one. Jock, thing. I think. He but even, he, he's not just a jock, right? He's got, he's got stuff going on. The psychology is very solid, right? Yeah. Mm. That's, uh, that's not where I'm, my beef is. <laughs> my beef is with why it exists. <laughs> maybe, maybe in your, your mind, body horror, really just has a limit of what it can do yeah it, it absolutely does there's no politics here right so you, you're going for the vegan angle there's no vegan angle here so vegans bring that to the table when they read <laughs> read this book of course but well, i do think they're, they're like the brutality of of just survival what it takes to it's uh, yeah but it's like to, to live it's it's violent right yeah but they, they it doesn't even work they don't even eat it in the earth they don't even eat it though all the time like, like in at least in in the uh, the, the other book, um, Lord of the Flies, they actually eat that pig. <laughs> like they they cut off its head, which is part usually that we don't eat, right? And they give that to Satan, um, and they put it on a stick, and they all the flies are attracted to it. It's a, you know, it's a it's a it's it's a message that the author's sending. Um, look at these boys, and I'm like, yeah. Look at these boys. And we got that here, too. But when we get to the end, like, nobody's learned anything. <laughs> right? I also I also think, I, I was thinking about this a lot when I was reading it, uh, mm-hmm. that it is kind of like a, a Wendigo tale in a, in a really modern environment. It is. Mm. It is. It should be. Maybe uh, he could have done that more. I don't know if he was thinking about it at all. You know, the movie Ravenous is really good. That's that's a, a body horror movie. It's actually a comedy, which is kind of weird. Have you guys seen that movie? Yeah, I have. Which one? Ravenous. Ravenous. It's a. It's a. Yeah, a, I saw yeah. It's. Um, Nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, definitely. And Guy it's Pierce, it, maybe? Guy Pierce. You got it. Robert Carlyle. Yeah. I remember in that one. Like you said, it's like comedy. Um, I didn't sort of. It's like, yeah, it's it has comic aspects. Yes. When I first watched it, I was like expecting a horror movie, but when the main title comes on the screen, mm-hmm. I just remember it has like a kind of sort of like boing sound effect <laughs> when it uh, yeah. arrives on the screen. It yeah. caught, caught me totally off the yeah. off guard. Like it's um, it's a. It's uh, uh, juxtaposition. <laughs> it's a yeah, it's yeah, not expected. Um, there's a lot of stuff in that movie that's not expected, but a good Wendigo story. But mm. I like um, Evan, like you're saying, this is sort of the Wendigo in a more modern aspect. I would really like that movie. Definitely draws on the folklore of yeah. the Wendigo. There's yeah. a legend, and it's set in uh, it's set with like um, Native Americans in the story. So, um. But uh this one, I sort of like the idea of that, like, the gluttonous Wendigo. And, like, once you've started eating something, mm-hmm. you can't stop, mm-hmm. right? And you can't, you're driven to do it. it it's like just that, not that in that here, though. What, is the Wendigo even called? Is no. The, there's nothing in no, here. No, it's, it never right. is. 
There's not a, a hint of it, right? Well, that well, would we don't be know a about really the way you're not gonna think about it. Uh, I, uh, yeah, yeah sure. but he, he didn't. You know, it's not in the it's not in the end notes. It's not in the forward quotes. It's it's it, it, I don't think it's in his mind. I think he's only thinking about no, tapeworms. No, no. It would be a great theme to have had in in conjunction with the pharmaceutical weight loss. Sure, theme, right? Because that's the thing is like this kind of greed or glutton gluttonous um, desire to be as, as thin as possible. But when do you stop? You eventually, but also the turn it on and turn it off. That's what the that's the whole thing of drugs and the seduction of drugs is. You turn yourself on, you turn yourself off. Right? We can control our body. Like, there's lots of stuff that could have been done. The two pill, yeah, solution. Right? That's right. You you turn on, yeah. You take. So he's throwing a lot of he's throwing a lot of stuff up at the wall um, to see what'll Mm. stick, and he keeps a lot, but. I don't feel like any of that uh, that that interstices stuff. I don't think any of it really sticks. The backstories are no. help the story a little bit, but you know, finding out what happened after and right before, um, I don't think that helps at all. I think it, it is it's something. I, I answers some questions, mm. but I it doesn't deliver on some. It, 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 agenda <laughs> that the author has and uh, like I know people there's a movement afoot that people want no agendas in their pulp fiction or whatever <laughs> uh yeah oh, well, there. oh yeah you know, I, I think that's sort of naive because you know I, I, I think it having an agenda makes uh, potentially interesting stuff right even if you don't say what the agenda is you just like Tolkien's got an agenda, <laughs> right? Mm. It isn't like he's hitting you over the head with it. And, you know, ever, a lot of good books have agendas. Um, you can't like, help but have your own personal feelings, you know. But there's no politics the here, right? There's, yeah, there's, yeah, no, yeah. there's nothing we can do with this information. Once we walk away from this book, we don't say, you know, we really got to stop eating tapeworms. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a real problem you in know, our society. Or even like, yeah, we we got to stop. Um, I don't know, you know, the like superficiality and uh, the pharmaceutical yeah, yeah. sort of drive to create products to to do that. You know, that would be a yeah another good message. It, it, it would it would it's something. Give me something. I don't feel yeah. like I don't feel like there's any heft at all for. What is a technically a very hor- horrible book, uh, mm. delivering lots of body horror? Yeah, I I do want to. I guess this is more of a statement than so we really need to talk about. But yeah. I'm really surprised at all these negative reviews on Goodreads, mm-hmm. which I'm going through now. And it it seems they're like they're offended by this book existing in some way. <laughs> well, I don't know, like that's that's body horror is nature though. Like that yeah, is the, it is. that's what's out there. And I, I don't know why these people are like, I why did why did I like no one warned me before I picked up this book. Well I, uh, some of that is some of that is realistic. <laughs> and I what do these people want in books, I guess? Is yeah. Just to be comforted, have a happy ending. It's well, they shouldn't be reading horror books if that's what they want. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point. Like, 
you pick up a book to be horrified. It's you know meant to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's some yeah. yeah. There's plenty of books that's well catered for if that's what you want. Um, but uh, I mean, I like you know I get I get a kick out of horror stuff. Um, I enjoy it, and that really this book definitely uh, hit the right spot there for me. I uh, was, what would you, you know, rate it out of ten <laughs> or five if um, you're on Goodreads? If, if we uh, if we talk about rating, oh, look, I I probably wouldn't give it a star out of ten. I would say I think it's a good book and I enjoyed reading it. Mm-hmm. And um, if for someone who's a horror fan, I probably would recommend it. I'd say look, it's but a, a good book, a very um, specific kind even, of horror. Don't fan. expect, right? Exactly. So, yeah. I, I, I'm thinking like I, I'm I like horror movies, but I don't I don't like some of them. <laughs> you know, and it, mm-hmm. it, 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 you know, there's like. Um, Saw, I think, is one of the best horror movies ever, um, because it has that just great downer ending, and it's body horror, right? But it doesn't show me uh, the guts as much as it get, shows me the consequences of us, you know, wanting to live and being attached to cells that are not going to live if I don't cut, cut off my leg. You know, like that is just beautiful beautiful but then there's this other kind where it's it's like um it's all, it, getting in was it was it shelton who's the shelly is that the kid who's um he's a psychopath the psychopath right getting inside his head and spending walking around in his his skin um is disgusting um i understand you know these people exist they're not a the majority of people i think much a lot more evil in the world is much more like not having any principles and willing to do what ever the group says, right? Like, like I don't want to bomb kids. Why would you even say that? But you voted for Biden, right? <laughs> like, oh, well, yeah, but that's how dare you say that I, Biden doesn't bomb kids, right? Like, it is just a way of escaping it. But then there's not the people who actually are like, you know, in the army and we find out, you know, there was this scandal where they're raping women and, and killing people and they're doing it for fun and they don't get punished right until later. Um, those people exist, but uh, <laughs> like, like the fact that he's getting a boner, but do you want to uh, through most of this book and, uh, thinking about like tearing, uh, tearing the wings off of things and squishing their eyeballs. And there's a, like a lot of that happens in here. And that's a, another kind of horror other than body horror. Right. But mm. it, it it it's like um, I, I found it interesting. I was I was waiting for Shelley to show up in the the other material, mm-hmm. and apparently he's just a victim, right? Yep. Yeah. The, the popular memory of this event, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. no one knew. Victim what he did. is that doctor. The doctor becomes. Yeah, the doctor's the scapegoat of this. Yeah. And him being just a normal kid who gets the worm. It would have, I guess the ending would have been the same, right? Just only Max makes it. Right. But I, th- I thought the addition of him was kind of interesting contrast to the, the more mundane horror of the, the, of the weight loss pill. It makes the book longer. <laughs> really evil. And, and he's sort of left off the hook in the, in the memory of this event. Uh, it, it, Just another one of the victim boys. We get, we get him being punished for being bad. Right. Yeah, but that's the same with Patrick Poskestetter and it. Like, 
Mm. Only the narrator knows he was the evil psychopath. And well, and Patrick Hockstetter, like you were saying, that Shelley's more developed than Patrick Hockstetter, and I feel like um, because of that, you expect a bit more. Like Patrick Hockstetter is really just a bit of flavoring in it yeah. that he he's in the story and he's out, and um, it's a it's a memorable side note. But but overall, you could really cut him out of the story, and it wouldn't change the overall story. And Shelley, that's not the case. So you do expect a bit more development, and um, like, uh, but there, this sort of isn't like you said. There's no overall significant. The fact that he's so horrible and a psychopath isn't. Um, it's more of a motivating force in the plot. He's the villain who's thwarting our heroes at certain points. Yeah, stealing the the, the spark plugs and all that. You just yeah, out. and it's sort of like. It's sort of like, mm-hmm. and it's like just because, just because he's he enjoys it, um, which is you know, it's a, it be, just because the thing exists in the world doesn't mean we should spend a lot of time thinking about it. But on the other hand, sometimes we do need to spend a lot of time thinking about things that didn't exist in the world. But this, it, it it's more like a fetish, I think. <laughs> Well, in a way, this this doctor probably saved lives because if Shelley had gotten has survived, would have grown up to shoot up a. <laughs> well, a sounds like a lot Maybe. of a lot of life died. You know, the, whatever the aren't you know whatever fictional they said <laughs> napalm and but more importantly, you know, oh yeah, whatever they poured on everything, it, it smelled like a swimming pool. And you know that that's actually legit, like. Some I know people who are afraid to swim in lakes and uh, afraid to swim in the ocean, uh, but aren't afraid to swim in swimming pools because swimming pools ha- are, are chlorine, right? They're full of chlorine. It kills all the things, right? And when you when you've been in a lake and you your your foot touched something under there, it scares you, right? Um, so you know there there are the people the fetish people. <laughs> Who love the roller coaster, <laughs> and then there's the people who are like me, like that scared the shit out of me. I don't like that feeling of being thrown around and not being in control of the steering wheel. I would much rather be, you know, in the driver's seat than subject to this scary ride. So it, it, it's, it's fulfilling some sort of person's fetish, <laughs> but uh, and it, it's. Well, ex, you know, well framed pornography or whatever, well lit, but it's not my fetish. It's just gross, mm. <laughs> and I don't feel like I learned anything. Sad story. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio. Oh, uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm supposed to go meet. Yeah, I think we're done uh, with this somebody. book. Yeah. Yes. All right. I want to, uh, next time you're around, I want to show you my Arkham Horror art book I just got. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Look, I haven't uh, opened the, it yet. The board game? 
Uh, it's the art of Arkham Horror, so it's just uh, yeah, that's the the card game. Really. Just came out and it's uh, looking pretty good. I haven't opened it up yet, but it was yeah. almost fifty five bucks. Yeah, it looks it looks terrific. It's kind of uh, not really Robert E. Howard, but uh, or <laughs> it's more Robert E. Howard than it is Lovecraft, but it's Lovecraftian stuff, I guess, symbolized that's or whatever. Game. I've never I've never played it. But I, I do like art. <laughs> I'll check it out. I'm just uh, I'm putting together a Call of Cthulhu role playing game wow. campaign right now. Nice. Um, it has a lot of like I have the source books for that for um that which I guess is like you know a close cousin of Arkham Horror mm-hmm. and uh, tons of fantastic art. In it. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, I need you to send me that uh, MP3 file if you didn't already. Um, for next week and um. I can't, oh, yeah. All right. I can't remember if there's uh, art in the original, but I think there wasn't. But I'll try and t- dig that out. I don't know anything about this story other than it's John Buchan. Okay. Um, I think there'll be there'll be some good stuff to talk about. Good. Um, oh, no, I expect it. it to be great. Uh, especially since... But it's... Um, I mean, actually, yeah, I'll send it to you. Yeah. And um, take a listen. Um, but... Uh, I, I, what I, there's no art for it that I could find, but yeah. I did find a really good bit of artwork in the public domain that I used on the YouTube video. Excellent. So I'll send you through the MP3 there. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'll pass that along to whoever else is joining us. Evan, are you in for that? What is it? Uh, John Buchan story it's called the... the Watcher by the Threshold. Yeah. And it's weird, weird fiction, right? It's weird fiction. It's a little bit of folk horror. Um, yeah. And uh, there's, there's some sort of like uh, Roman stuff in it as well, well. I think I'll be around then. All right. That's next next Saturday, same time. I'll add you to this chart. It's about right. 40 minutes, so not too long of an audiobook. I'm looking forward to it. I've been doing so many novels. Um, mm. Evan, you missed that st- seascape. You can take off now if you want, Connor. You missed seascape okay, tattoo. Cool. I'll be out. See you guys later. Bye. Bye. Seascape. Tattoo by Larry Niven, Stephen Burns. Yeah, it's called, it's, uh, it's a hard fantasy. Um, and, uh, funny situation. Everybody else thought it was okay. And I'm like, this is more interesting than you think. (laughs) Um, but part of it was like, there was a lot of Robert E. Howard sort of stuff going on in it and set in a hard fantasy universe. It makes it, uh, more interesting, I think. Just because Robert E. Howard's fantasy universe is more like whatever I need to, sell the story right um whereas this is like they have the new book yeah it was 2016 which is surprising and i think it's mostly written by stephen barnes i don't think larry niven had much to do with it other than providing the background universe um so that that's pretty exciting then we're gonna do uh heinlein after watcher on the threshold so we'll get some nice heinlein uh anger anger going yeah I love arguing with him. I hate him so much. <laughs> you fucking really foist this shit on I, me. I don't know if I'm ready to do a whole read through of, of Heinlein. You'd have to spread it out, otherwise you get like Heinlein rage. Because he's well, annoying. I don't think he's written anything that's made me rage out. No, it's a no. It's annoying, right? So like, he, maybe he, he gets like he he does. His favorite thing is straw man. He gets some straw man in there, 
and we haven't seen it a lot in the stuff we've been reading, but he gets some straw man. Like in Starship Troopers, there's star, straw man. There's Starship, there's uh, the Earth government uh, in um, Moon is a Harsh Mistress is straw man, right? Mm-hmm. You know, finding. Um, it's really turgid, too. <laughs> I'm sure he can be at some points, but uh, <laughs> no. No, his problem is he has an agenda, and he's right about a lot of stuff, but he's mostly wrong. <laughs> but he's got good ideas. I, I'd love, I'd love to know, like, uh, what his take on, like, if 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 people do keep evolving over time, like, uh, Bobby Deary was tweeting out these, um, uh, co- comparing Lovecraft. Well, he, just in reading the the quotes. Comparing Lovecraft from 1915 to Lovecraft from 1933, you know, like they're not the same guy in that their, their uh, beliefs are different, right? He's, he, I, I agree with that only partially. I, I'm less convinced he's changed all that much. He knows more now. In this broad philosophy, I think he's more or less consistent. You know, he, I think on, but he said, I don't know. I, I still think there's like this, idea that like we can kind of forgive his racism because he sort of evolved now i'm not saying you need to forgive it i'm just saying like it it seems like if if you look at the people of that era right the was progressive era they're really fucking racist like it's just everywhere right like it's the thing to do and he's growing up in that, and then he has these weird, real world experiences, and he still has yeah, those racism. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not going to forgive a bunch of Confederates either. Uh, I'm not saying you need to like, forgive them because I'm, I'm that, that was like the culture they lived in. It's I'm like, just I, I'm thinking Heinlein, you know, was a big booster of of NASA, right? He he. I, I watched yeah. a video not that long ago of him and Arthur C. Clarke. <laughs> getting everything wrong about what the future held for mankind, right? Like we're going to be on the moon, and uh, we're, we're on the moon today. We're going to be on Mars tomorrow, right? <laughs> sort of things, and like they they are predicting, you know, all sorts of things that are just absolutely false. And then we get uh, Jeff Bezos launching himself into near space um, and saying, "Look at me, I'm a pioneer, <laughs> and I'm making this uh, with the Virgin guy." Whatever his name yeah, is. Yeah, doing stuff the Soviets did. Right. In, in 1961, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's like, oh, like a, but it's all just a graft to, you know, make a ride for themselves and steal government money. Um, and, and so if Heinlein was still, you know, alive and not, you know, set in his ways, he would probably have to, you know, unless you, we all do, which a lot of people do, they just get set in their ways. He would, like, this is not what I wanted. Because <laughs> he has the this story called The Man Who Sold the Moon or whatever, right? Good. Which is, you know, private private enterprise gets you to the moon. Um, but the long lesson is, you know, Vietnam War was a bad idea. The uh, the war in Afghanistan is a bad idea. Um, if, you, if you take the long view and you sort of look back and say, hmm, did I do well here? As I don't think of him as like a uh, guy who wasn't thinking about, you know, he wasn't in it just for the money, right? So he's not just trying to, you know, boost his own stocks. He lit- literally was really interested in, in seeing 
people go to the moon and humanity and all that shit that he's talking about. And so if he sees like Jeff Bezos and, and, uh, all these guys just milking it, <laughs> is he going to say, yeah, that's awesome. Like, so I see some people tweet, you know, like they think it's, it's really exciting. And I'm like, well, it's semi interesting at most. Uh, but the bigger story is, you know, that, uh, I think I sent you that guy saluting the flag. Like, that's a much more interesting story because this is, this is a, like, he's disabled. He's delivering groceries or whatever it is, boxes to people to make a billionaire a trillionaire. Um, and, and then there's people like, he's a patriot. And I'm like, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> he's all like, he's like, he thinks what he's doing there is substantial when he's been tricked. He's been tricked. He should be retired. If he's in the military and he's injured like that, should be retired. Doing something, you know, useful for society rather than delivering groceries for a billionaire. Whatever. You're on your bathroom break. It's fine. No, I'm here. I'm just laughing. Oh, sad story. Yeah, I'm looking forward to not this book. It wasn't it wasn't a bad book at all. It's just not it's not uh I don't understand people who think this is the greatest book ever. Not that everybody was saying that, but it also has one yeah. of those boring covers. I wasn't didn't that yeah, book. Yeah, they got we, the book covers. Like that book we did Revival is a lot better than this. It felt like Revival had some substance. A little bit of heft. So you could have had worms on the cover. You could have had the body horror. Even like, like the title, The Troop, does it, it just sort of does the job of telling you which book it is. <laughs> Rather than... there's an, He's got another one called The Deep. I got the same sort of feeling reading um, that Scott Sigler Earthcore book as I got reading this as well. Like He's determined to be a writer, but whatever trauma he suffered as a kid wasn't very traumatic so he doesn't really have anything to say you know but he really has the drive but nothing to say the other thing is think about like who could make this into a movie i don't think they can because 14 year old boys you're gonna have to age them up otherwise people get upset Mm -hmm. right because it it, it's like one 14 year old boy carving on another Fourteen-year-old. Well, that, boy. that's why I'm thinking about these these Goodreads reviews. I mean, mm-hmm. A lot of people just—they got this. I think there's so much of this this kind of moral conservatism going around. Yeah, I was thinking like, uh, am I a moral conservative? It's all disturbing. It's like the trigger warning thing. It's, it's part of it. Am right. I am I a conservative for wanting to not read this book? I'm, I'm not saying nobody's allowed to. It's just I, I'm starting like. It's like uh, if you, it's what they said about Jenk Uger, right? He he talks a lot about how uh, how um, having sex with animals should be legalized. Like, okay, why? <laughs> why is this such a hobby horse for you? <laughs> like, what? That that's, that's the thing. Uh, wow. You know, dude. I don't know. I apparently there's websites for it. I have not. I've I've heard about it. I'm not gone to visit any of them. Um, I guess that's some but sort of farm trauma. I read, you get. It, I read about sex with animals in a book. I'm not 
like morally outraged, or I'm not going to give a book as no, 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 but but if sex with animals, even though I think you probably shouldn't do it, all kinds of weird (laughs) consent issues with that. Yeah, well, pretty straightforward consent issues. Unless it's like Coco. <laughs> I mean, I don't even like watching my the gorilla. nephew like pick up a dog when the dog obviously doesn't want to be picked up. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I've been a, you know we shouldn't have sex with animals, but no, uh... it's not morally outraged when I see it in a book. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. There's that kind of weird moralism. Yeah, I, I... eventually it's going to be everything is is is. Cancelable, can't get you canceled. Yeah, it, it, that's one one of the reasons I really like books is they they don't have that filter of somebody saying you can't write that, I can't publish that. That nobody cares enough. It just didn't develop that way. And people, when the books were banned, people said that sounds good. I want that banned book because I guess there was a yeah, lot of banning going on. There's like the the conservative moralist backlash is definitely coming from the so-called left these days. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they're really. Uh, I don't even know what that left is. I mean, what, now when I was growing up, like it was like the right wingers who said, like, don't play Dungeons and Dragons or don't watch. Well, don't it was some religious people. Theater. I think it was mostly like a lot of it was religious, and so like. Well, that's where I got it from. Is religious conservatives, but. It's not religious conservatives saying don't read this book. It's the people on Goodreads saying, "Oh, there's not enough female strong characters in this book," or, or they're they're, they're well, violent I mean, towards animals, yeah. which are which are kind of well, the animals are violent towards left. humans in this. <laughs> you didn't notice that part, huh? That that's not a big problem. Yeah, those M and M's were made in a factory. No human, no animals were hurt. <laughs> which is, I think, I appreciate about this book because it is saying like. Eating is is violent. <laughs> okay, something itself is violent. You're right. Eating is violence. It's true. I yeah. I just don't. Uh, I don't. I don't like cooking. <laughs> I just want the food on my plate. I don't, I don't want uh, like working in a slaughterhouse. It needs to be done. Because yeah. um, you got too many. Well, I'm not sure it has to be done. Well, it, the, you, there's another way to go. Another way to go for sure, but the problem is, is um, so I'm talking to a friend, good. and she's like, hey, "Why don't you come over for dinner mm-hmm. someday, and, and, and you know, we'll meet the family or whatever." An old friend from high school. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Do you have any like dietary restrictions?" He says, "Well, I don't eat meat." That's what I said. Yeah, and then I got a reply like a little bit later. It was a really long reply saying. You know, full disclosure, I got to tell you, there's like guns in the house and, you know, a lot of venison meat. Oh, that's good. Totally took it the wrong way. It's like, I'm not offended by that stuff. Venison's fine. Killed a deer. Okay. You probably shouldn't be punching down and getting off on that. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, okay. It's better than eating a pig, probably. Better for the planet. Better for, in every way, to eat a deer than... Like a cow. Well, nothing wrong with cows, except you know but the way they're think, they're executed and the way they're raised. There's a bit of follow up on the meeting, though. So, yeah. ah, eating with people's overrated. 
I don't really like doing it. When she's like, let's meet, I'm like, I thought it was going to be like a bar. <laughs> yeah, you much prefer drinking. You're yeah. A, you're a, drink, is, a bar drinker. Is, is, it's nice. You meet people there. I, I, I think there's a new book. Yep. Maybe it's not a new book. There's a new book out on uh, coffee. Um, and it was, I can't remember what it's called, but it was on oh. coffee and tea and, and one other drug that all hit uh, uh, Europe at the same time. It wasn't tobacco. Um, Nick so I, I don't really like, uh, like I, I don't get excited about antique books or, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my books. fetish. But at the, at the used bookstore, uh-huh. there was a copy of John Barleycorn. Like it, it must have been an original wow. print run of John Barleycorn by Jack London. I was kind of tempted to buy it, but so I didn't. The, so this book is called I Caffeine. Have a copy of that book. Um, Michael Pollan. I've heard his name around. How Coffee and Tea Created the Modern World. Yeah. These books, this has been a, a trend in a while. There's like a book, Salt, World History, right, or right. Sugar, World History. Yeah. And sometimes they do a really good job of yeah. showing the, the human relations beyond it. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, I wonder if it's like a bit of commodity fetishism here. Like oh, we yeah. reduce history to these commodities. Well, it, it's useful. It's, it's, I I get where it's coming from in a way, and I don't. I'm not totally offended by it, but there's a trend in world history writing to focus on the commodities or the corporations. Mm. Like labor history is totally out of popularity. Like, like that book couldn't have been sold as a labor history, right? Caffeine, like, like the yeah, the, like the workers who. Produce caffeine over the over the right, years. No, no, it's just the book I would want to read. No, it's sure all about the elites drinking the caffeine. I'm sure how caffeine created the modern world. It gets into the labor dynamics. It's only two it. hour book. If it doesn't get into that, that's no. That's I'm sure it doesn't. It. But it's. I do think there's a trend in world history to kind of do things from the top and not from the bottom. And it's easier doing world history, right? Yeah. So you look at it uh, from the top. That's, that's kind of the goal of world history in a way. But I think sometimes it misses out on the, like, that day-to-day, just the, the violence and brutality of, of producing commodities. And this is what Marx called commodity fetishism, mm-hmm. right? For him, commodity fetishism was this, I will, like, I buy a pound of tea, Right, and I pay money for it, mm-hmm. and all, all the social relations in that purchase are obliterated in that transaction. Right, which if I'm on a like a in a rural village in a in a non-capitalist society, yeah, like yeah, I raise this cow and I trade it for chickens, and those chickens have their history or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a human relation. And it's, yeah, I understand. It goes into it. That's what Marx was saying when he talked about commodity fetishism. Oh, look, I, I um I prefer the fruit grown on my mom's yard to the fruit I buy at the store. Fruit I buy at the store is way easier to buy than the you know True. to get. It's it's very convenient, and sometimes it's even better fruit. It depends on you know a lot of circumstances. Um, but at my mom's uh, yard, it's only available you know a little part of the year. So it's blueberry season now. 
blueberry season is going to be over soon. Raspberry season is practically over, but we got apple season coming up. And when you give somebody a bunch of apples, that's different than buying some apples and giving them to that person, right? And you say, yeah, these are from my yeah, yard. I, I think so. so. And and eating the eggs that came out of the chickens in the backyard who are, um, you know, eating the food that she cut up and put in their trays. She's well, a, when I was in China, I, I think I'm, because I mostly ate in the cafeteria and mm-hmm. they bought whatever was cheap and available. Mm-hmm. I, I was eating kind of seasonably, seasonally. Like it was in the winter, it was all like turnips and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fruit only came certain times of the year. That's because that cafeteria was like trying to make a profit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, bought what it could cheap at the time. But, yeah, I, I, I think that's probably something we should do more. Yeah. You only get your blueberries once a year. Whatever. Well, I was telling my mom, you know, you can. You can it. That's what I was telling you. You can, you can uh, make jam out of it. And she says, nobody makes blueberry jam. Then I went to the store and I'm like, there's the blueberry jam. jam. Right? There's the blueberry jam. Um, you can do, you can do a lot with, you know, you can pickle your eggs if you want. You can do a lot to keep it over the winter. But the thing is, is, what do you want to spend your time doing? I like to be outside, but I don't like to be outside all the time. I don't want to be uh, a, a a farmer. I don't want to be a butcher. <laughs> I like being a tutor. So if you know, if we're all going back to the land and we all have to do part of the rotation, I and you know, I guess I'll have to do it, but I I don't see it happening. Well, so I have to I, figure out. I don't out, think the the true permaculture is say we all have to be farmers. It's, no, it's, if. But there is some inefficiency um, in, you know, growing your own victory garden when, you know, you can have professionals do it. And it does cut down on the the connection that you have. But it doesn't wholly cut down on it, right? When you go to the local bakery that is a mom and pop, you feel like there's some sort of connection between you and the baker, even if that is illusory. But when I go to the grocery store and I'm looking at like what what's in the ingredients, as soon as I see palm oil or any seed oils, I'm like, this is fucking in everything. Like if you look, it's it's in everything. And so if you go to the bakery section, all the baked goods except for like the stuff they made that day, right? And it's like really just the stuff they made that day, which is you know baked in store. It'll have, and even some of that has palm oil and seed oils and. It's like a huge list of ingredients. So there, uh, there's some connection we need to have to our food that is in between um, going back to the land and growing everything and working all day and canning everything and hunting your own beef or whatever it is um, and getting your own chickens and uh, the current system we have. Wow. We're getting... Seasonal fruits all year from every country in the world. It's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a, I was going to say it's above my pay grade, but it's more like I'm not, I don't care that much. I got, I got, uh, other, other things that I'll just like, I'd like a good brand of coffee. Okay. Hopefully it won't kill me when I drink it. Hopefully it'll be consistently tasty. Um, 
I haven't found it yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm testing lots of flavors. But yeah, what's the what's the explanation for your vegetarianism? Is you don't like seeing animals hurt, but you are okay with the venison, right? Because that's I don't minimizing it. Well, there's ecological argument, and there's the just reduce suffering if if I can. Yeah, we got a lot of that on this planet, but a lot of it's not human, right? But that's well, the sort of built in. To me, was the like I I I'm less bothered by extinction, you know, in a way, because like you know I I. I don't think it's worth keeping the last white rhinos alive in a zoo or something or in a lab. And because, you know, individual suffering is in the last five rhinos, that's five sentient beings, right? So I mean, chickens, sentient or whatever they chickens, are. Chickens, on the other hand, are pretty fucked from the time they're born. Yeah, no, they're, they're bred to be that way, but. Yeah, and I, I think we probably shouldn't do that. Should breed animals just to be our meat. But we didn't. We didn't start the fire. <laughs> um, no, but we could end it. Yeah, yeah like, there's not. This I mean, is, the stupid argument is like, what's going to happen to all the cows when you go vegan? Well, we'll just stop breeding them. Same yeah. thing with horses, right? Yeah. We used to have all horses and doing all kinds of labor for us, and now there's they're, not as many horses. They're hobby animals. We just stop breeding them but the, that's the thing is is if you go to mars it's it's 100 no suffering right which is a very positive thing we think it's total sum you you balance it out all the good things that happen on mars all the bad things that happen on mars come comes equals complete zero yeah but we when we're like eating that sandwich and it's got some pork in it do we say there's no positive benefit. I can only think about the uh, the uh, the well, suffering of the pig. Where I, I do think in a utilitarian sense there isn't a positive benefit. There isn't. The suffering doesn't equivalent the the pleasure one gets out of it. But you, we've got not that the pleasure is not unmeasurable. It's just not comparable to suffering. I wish Schopenhauer on this. Yeah, I'm just uh, thinking. I keep I'm that thinking about this a lot when it's being eaten by a fox. Is not equivalent to the pleasure the fox got out of eating the, the rabbit. But the but the fox and the rabbit are in a system that you know is co yeah. coexistent. The fox can't make. A we are outside of the system in a certain sense, but but that's where you know why people do go no, vegan we, and stuff. Because we have reducible. In but we can't we can't just can eliminate it unless we. Not, I'm not talking about eliminate. That's yeah. a unreasonable standard. Yeah, it's same yeah. with medicine. We can't eliminate all suffering, but we can certainly eliminate some, right? I, I dealt with those with my mom. It's like doctors wouldn't prescribe her narcotics when she needed it mm-hmm. because they're the word she's going to get addicted of addiction. <laughs> yeah, that, that, like she was so old and in such pain, right. was, addiction wasn't going to be is not her biggest problem, right? Mm-hmm. They could have eliminated some of her suffering, and they chose not to. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm for that. It's like I, I don't get these people who want to have natural childbirth. Like, wh- why wouldn't you take the epidural? Uh, I guess if you want to suffer, yeah. that's up to you. But yeah, I haven't. I'm, I'm never. I'm not for nature. That's the thing. I, I think nature. Fuck nature. 
And well, it certainly fucked us. <laughs> yeah, let's get beyond it. Yeah, but it makes us it makes us a kind of a uh, a kind of zookeeper to to the planet, which I don't think is a uh, is like that that. No, it's it's more we can declare our independence from nature more and more with technology. Yeah, and we we should do that if we can. Uh, but I'm I'm I'm, 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 I'm thinking about like indigenous people hunting or something. But I'm I'm of the opinion the maybe we should maybe we should just reject them where they're not doing that to nature and can't we just certainly less suffering than it's caused by factory environment. But can't we just reject certain kinds of suffering? I know it's not uh, a popular idea, but uh, like reject it, like like saying yeah, yeah, that's a sad story for you, like mm-hmm. that, like because if we don't, we have to say suffering is bad. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I think it is, bad. but I think we should like like limit it somehow. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, and. But it, it, it like the reason some suffering by the reason suffering exists animals, you know, if there is a reason, it's to uh, make the gene spread, right? So, I, 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 I've been picking a lot of fruit, and I'm a thinker, so while I'm picking the fruit, I'm like, this plant, making it easier for me to pick it. This particular piece wants to come off. That's because it's ripe. I, I feel the next one. It doesn't want to come off. I'll come back for that later, right? That plant is giving up a piece of itself in order to get what it wants, right? It's it's it's, it's morally neutral in the sense of suffering. Uh, yes, because of, you know we we don't think of plants as suffering at all, yeah. right? But the reason we think of animals suffering is because they don't like it when we do stuff to them, right? Um, which to me is like, yeah, it's pretty obvious you don't want this, but the reason I, I fed you all these years or all these months or whatever which is it is. Why I don't have a problem eating wheat and cause it's indifferent to it and it doesn't suffer. No, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to. So I just think we can eliminate it. I, I think an argument for veganism is similar to an argument for like pain meds, hmm. like giving people pain medicine when they need it. Yeah. Well, except veganism rejects like rejects. Eaters, should it? Like, I guess, like someone who says, like, "Oh, they're suffering in nature, so we should eat meat." It's like, well, yeah, they then don't have an epidural when you're having a baby, <laughs> well, because that's natural but, too. But vegans go beyond to like the eggs that my mom's chickens are squirting out every day. Yeah. They are, uh, infertile. They will not, they, they, there's yeah. no parthenogenesis happening. Right. They're, they're no So the reason you, we reject them is not because the, we're, we're worried about, you know, the suffering of the egg. It's, it's the suffering of the chicken laying the egg. Yeah. Yeah. And those and those chickens may or may not suffer. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you you know kicked, I don't kick chickens, but if you kicked one, it would not like it. It would run away. Are you kicking the chickens? No, no, I'm kick, not kicking the, the chickens. But oh, you oh, you're talking about the eggs in a cage their entire life. 
Yeah, that's wow. Well, move around. That's not no. They 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 can move around. It's just have not to do that. Yeah, that means we have less eggs. Well, fuck it. We can make artificial eggs. Chinese do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we can well, have lab grown meat, or we just don't need to eat meat. I think it's well, it's, uh, but some of our pets do, right? So if we're if we're like if we're determined to have cats as pets, we yep. do need to have suffering for their. Uh, or we I guess we don't. If we, hmm? we don't have a solution to that yet. Well, no. If we got the lab-grown meat, we can get the. Yeah. Yeah. We're not quite there yet. But no. We might. Um, like if we did have the lab-grown meat. Yeah. Well, that. I, I already think we're at humans are at a stage where eating meat is there's so many there's so much like additives and vitamins and stuff available. We, but the cat, okay, the cat can't live without the meat. Yeah. But maybe we shouldn't have pets. I don't know. That, there yeah. might be an argument for that. Yeah. I'm open to that. I mean, it, we don't really have their consent it's, kind it's of funny it's funny because this, this like, is i i i never i took him in i never really got his consent <laughs> and he left he left on his own well you can't really you can't really talk about consent with animals as easily as you can talk yeah, about it with people and it's pretty hard with people it's a problem with owning animals at all yeah well that's the system we like, got they can't consent but we can they can have they can be unhappy or happy. You can establish that. I see, I see the way my mom deals with her dogs. It, they're they're like this is you know she she insists that you know that's my dog and I'm like no that's not my dog that's your dog. You know I didn't buy it. I bought it for you because you needed some money after you bought it or whatever. I don't care. Not my dog. The reason I want don't want that dog is I don't want the. The burden of having its um, its death on my hands when it gets run over or something, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't I don't need the ex- extra responsibility because it's hard enough, right? <laughs> Life is too full of uh, responsibilities I've been handed, and I don't want to have any more. On the other hand, I do like playing with the dog, um, but she treats the, the their existence like they're they're. Children that never grow up, they always need minding. They need to be looked out for and taken to the vet and, uh, you know, constantly trained and taken for walks. And she's just trying to make their life as wonderful as possible. And then she gets the enjoyment of them, you know, nuzzling her hand and stuff like that. Um, it's kind of a weird relationship. <laughs> and, and arguing, like arguing this, that dogs. This animal makes me happy. Because it nuzzles my hand or whatever. But arguing, arguing, it's it's, it's kind of a. I don't know. Like I don't know if we should do it. But arguing that uh, um, she she is the one doing this is possibly wrong because dogs and humans have been together so long. We don't know where this relationship started. We can't say which species consented to it. Now individually, we can do like I have done and said, I don't own dogs. Right. Um, there's a crow that I have a relationship with. I give it food. Right. Uh, when I see it and it sees me, I give it food. But that's the extent of our relationship. It, you know, uh, well, we do need a, I think a stronger 
philosophy about animal rights. And it doesn't mean their rights are equivalent to ours. But I, think, I think there's a sound philosophical basis for saying animals have certain rights. It sounds nice. I'm just, I, I'm having enough trouble with humans getting, getting, uh, how we should. It should be a priority. Certainly. It's, it's an issue for sure. And it's, it seems to be a growing one. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, it's, it's interesting. Like the people who, um, you know, veganism is very modern, right? I, yeah. I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand this growth. My feeling is it's modern because we can achieve it now. Maybe. Maybe. Well, also, peasants pretty much were vegan too. Uh, but hmm. that's because. Well, vegetarian. It was such that they could only have vegetables. Maybe on like a holiday yeah. or a wedding or something, they could afford meat. You know, once a year kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But most peasants in human history didn't eat much meat. Oh, there's fe- there's fish as well, right? In the peasant yeah. diet. That, that Even now, that provides something like 1% of calories. Really? Human rights. Is that right? Yeah. Again, it's clearly Japan's doing a, a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> Yeah, in that and Korea, I guess. This, the ocean certainly can't sustain uh, a seafood diet. For well, I mean, seafood vegetarianism, maybe. Yeah, like, I'm just interested because the the o- older people who I know who are vegetarian, like you and Eric, and I say yeah. older, just like older than my niece and you know whoever else is in her cadre, um, or whatever their cadre is when you're. Is not a niece and you're not a nephew, but used to be a niece. Um, <laughs> not having the vocabulary. She's not a heavy thinker. She's not a philosopher, right? She doesn't think about this issue. She knows that she doesn't like suffering. She wants to be a veterinarian, but being a veterinarian is basically seeing suffering all day long, right? It's, yeah. it's fixing suffering. So it's like. And it'd be nice if we had a world where we didn't need vets because animals are returned to nature and. But uh, it, a lot of, but a lot of that interaction, like seeing seeing an injured animal, is built into kids, right? Some wild animal that you know is injured, yeah. and we have an option: we can eat you, or we can help you. Those are and most kids want to help, right? Yes, they do. But you give a you give a mouse to a, a baby kitten, they'll, a baby cat, they'll they'll try to eat the cat. I think. The mouse? <laughs> the, the mouse? The cat will try and eat the mouse. The cat will try to kill the mouse, Yes, right? it will, like because that. it's smaller, and it's, they're murderers. But we don't. I think that's telling. It is, but what what happens when we've solved one problem? Do we move on to the next? Yeah. <laughs> we get, we get rid of... We get, but see, day. I think it leads to a uh, dangerous place. Um, and then, you know, we, <laughs> once we get rid of the, the man eaters, uh, oh, sorry, the, uh, ca- carnivores, um, in our own system, we start saying, well, we don't really need those guys. And then there's these wild animals out in the woods. We don't really need those guys. I mean, this is what, what why wolves are killed off, right? It's because they're eating our stuff. You can't yeah. eat our stuff. I, I agree with And we that. turn the whole world into a garden. That's always where we're spending no, all I our time we, we you know, turn picking a weeds. We turn the world into a garden. And hopefully we don't need 
as much as we're using now. This, which I don't think we do. Like being a gardener, huge chunk of the United States is ranch land. You know that. Right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like a quarter of the entire surface of the United States is ranch land. Yep. And yeah, we probably could return a lot of that to nature. And then I'm kind of maybe I'm just saying wash our hands of of natural <laughs> evil in this sense, which fine. How are we going to get it's there? It's a little better life for for most wildlife. Does don't complain, don't seem visibly uncomfortable hmm. for most of their life. Yeah, so and their lives. Uh, what we're not enslaving them. We're not active in that. But see, saying saying that we are enslaving them, right? I don't, I don't, I, I'm not, in, I don't feel like I'm enslaved to the apple trees that I tend. Or, but I or, am, in a certain sense, as a species, we are doing this. But they don't have any sentience. I think most vegans, their their standard is sentience or some self awareness or some ability to feel suffering, maybe some mixture of that. Yeah. Which I think it's a it's kind of gaslighting to say, well, what about the, the 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 apple tree? No, no, I'm saying the apple tree is is making me do its its work for it. I mean, it would even be better if we didn't have to own. And then, trees. that's also like, like if we could sustain our civilization without sheep and goats are making us. At all. Uh, we have we're not quite there yet. We have become the shepherd for there them. Was a time when we. And we had to do the stick horses, and now we can. We don't need any horses, probably. <laughs> I can't think of any good reason why we need horses. People like riding them. Yeah, but it's not a necessity. Yeah, but the, like, I, is I, I life only it. about necessities? Because if it is, it's, it, it is very much about like what we we have to decide on what uh, how we want to be on this planet, right? It's kind of like like middle class people going camping, and it's like homeless people are look at them and say, you know, yeah, I'm, I, I decided have to live out in a tent, yeah, and and, and, and cook over a fire, yeah. I get, I I decided yeah. I didn't want to be a camper ever again after a certain point. It's like, yeah, and and there, yet, you know, there's the also the other way of camping where you you take your home with you and you park in a nice scenic spot and then you drive away and dump your it was also entertaining at one point to like have gladiator kill animals. Yeah, deem that not acceptable. Yeah, well, yeah, but well, we still have circuses or whatever. Uh well, uh, that's actually mentioned in that book, right? Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Uh, the one thing we didn't touch on that I I was um, interested in. I actually reviewed a zombie book a long time ago, and I've thought about why I didn't like the book so much. Um, in the review and writing the review. And, uh, one of the things I, I caught on is like, um, this doesn't seem to be need to set in the modern era. Like, like the guy who, when he's trying to solve his problems, like what's going on with the world, you know, he doesn't go to the World Wide web, right? It's just like, turn on the TV. And I, I ended up coming to like some really strange conclusions like that. This, this is, this is, um, it's like a meta zombie book. Like we're all zombies and this is how we act. So the guy who's trying to avoid becoming a zombie is actually already a zombie. And that's, I yeah, don't I think, think that's going on in this book. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'd like that to be going on in this book. But well, that was Ephraim's problem, right? Like, yes. He wasn't infected, but he thought he was. Yeah. He was yeah. 
We're all hungry. That was pretty weird. That was pretty weird. And the the playing that up, it's inter- it's interesting, but I don't think it ever really pays off. But if our if you think our purpose is to be you know gardeners, um, you know tending the garden of the earth to make it the Eden that we lost. And I don't think, you know, you're coming no, out from I, a religious I angle. Declaring independence from nature is probably the best solution at this point. Yeah, well, then we go, we're going digital. Like a lot of people, <laughs> and even permaculturists who I, I more or less agree with, mm-hmm. they kind of talk this way, like reconcile or, or recreate Eden or, in some mm-hmm. way, which I don't think is really what I'm after. I think if we can declare independence from nature, at least partially, we should do that. Yeah, it seems why inflict extra suffering we don't have to. No, the aspect of veganism that gets me uh, so interested because I, you know, when my niece comes over or whatever we call a person who's not a niece or a nephew but is your sister's child, whatever uh, when that person comes over, they uh, have dietary restrictions that mean I have to do the vegan shopping. You know. And the things that, you know, I would buy as a vegan, if I was a vegan, you know, would be like uncooked things that I could take home and maybe cook. But I'm not a vegan, so I don't have those uncooked things as as a regular experience. But, like, I'm told, like, get this. And it's like, I look at the ingredients list to see if it's the right thing or the packaging. It has, like, 47 things in it. And... And it's like, this is, this is to simulate the flavor of something that is meaty, right? That's the purpose of that particular. Yeah, that was kind of my mom's problem with like the vegan meats, which I don't really eat much of. No, I can imagine. It's not, like, I don't need to stimulate a hamburger. I just don't, I can live my life without those flavors if I need to. But it makes people comfortable, right? They're having a cookout and bring a few vegan yeah, burgers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's it kind of makes the social aspect of it easier. Yeah, you know, you're not like people because people tend to worry about they do about like the vegetarians, and I don't want that drama. No, you don't need that. That's the thing is we don't need this drama in our lives. Um, when you are a vegetarian, you don't go around like I, I mentioned this character in that H.G. Wells, uh, Wells short story. He goes around telling everybody he's a vegetarian and how you know, like, you can see everybody's reaction is like, oh, my God, having a conversation with this guy. Everything is like that with him, you know, and there are those people who are out there. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of a couple podcasters. <laughs> I actually think it's, it's really simple. It's simpler to be a vegetarian than to... Oh, way simpler. Way simpler. I I, I would think. I would think. But if people are used to, like, just the, all the recipes that they cook, they have meat, then it can be complicated for them. Mm. That's why you bring your vegan burgers to the cookout. Mm-hmm. And everyone's happy, I think. I hope. All right, I'm going to go. Yeah, have a good night. Thank you. See you later. I'll send you that file when I get it. Okay. Uh, what, what do you got in the podcast feed? I haven't seen. I've been doing these long. long I haven't novels. uploaded lately. I got a few more. I got a, like all the later Lovecraft stories. That's all done. So good. I'll start uploading soon. Good, good. I just haven't been doing much. This is kind of. I'm going to start. Once I finish this room, I can start getting back to work. 
It's hard to work here in Wisconsin. Why? Because of the it's, family relationship. Well, I got the family, in yeah. and now, well, now I have to, I, with the basement cleaned out, I have a uh, space. Nice. So I can get some work. Doing this book was a was maybe a breakthrough. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I, I found when I'm doing lots of physical labor, uh, like for 13 hours yeah. a day, audiobooks get you through. Yeah, but. My dad's always talking to me. Wow. That's to be understood. Which I'm not bothered by that much. No. It's not like living in China. As, lo- uh, as long as he's not talking to you about what's on the TV. Because <laughs> no. that could be infuriating. He'll, he'll just talk about things I don't really want to talk about. That are annoying. But that's just parents. <laughs> yep. All right. I'll uh, see you on the internets. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye-bye. I fix it. So, um... Yeah, yeah. just be reckless with stuff. (laughs) Sorry? Just be reckless with stuff and then watch a fix. Yeah, I get to replace a tile on my uh, kitchen floor a while back. There you go. Which is about the most I've done. But that was, yeah, pretty fun. Yeah, uh, it's the, it's like, I I don't mind having fresh farm eggs, but like seeing to the needs of chickens, <laughs> not my thing. My mom loves this shit, but she's oh, incapable yeah. of doing it all, you know? So. Yeah. Well, chickens aren't, once you got them set up, they're not too bad, I suppose. She's not doing it right and she doesn't want to listen to me. You know, she wants to move uh, them around the lawn, which is... It, it, I understand her theory, but they're just making holes in the lawn. Mm. And that, like wherever they are, they'll tear it up. Yeah. They want to just keep them in, and they don't care. They just like uh, let them out to roam around. Well, then, yeah, we got coyotes though, and uh, I don't know. Uh, honestly, even during the day, like because uh, you bring it back in at night, you just feed them inside the pen yeah, and then yeah. close it up. Um, she's um. She's she's a very strong-willed person. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they're in a hutch, I guess. And you there's a co- I'll send you a picture. There's like I built a couple of vinyl um, kits, you know, that are that they have a mm-hmm. area underneath, and they have like a, uh, a a roosting area. It's like they're very small footprint, and he has only two mm-hmm. in each one. Um, so they're, they can go downstairs or upstairs or into the back room to do their egg, egging. But mm-hmm. yeah, I would say just get used to losing chickens, but it's a small operation, right? It's only four chickens. So mm. you lose one. That's a lot more of a deal, but also yeah. like nature's fucking cruel. And I, I I'm going to save it for the podcast maybe, but, um, a lot of people I know are like, well, I, I'm I'm saying a lot of people. Basically, a couple of people in my family are like, uh, they're soft-headed, <laughs> not just soft, soft-hearted, soft-headed. Like he's like, you didn't mm. think this through, did you? The planet you're on wants to fucking kill you. Um, yeah. we, we make lots of thing, lots of um, ways to avoid that. But if you if you don't have that, like, and and all the other things around you too. Right and, and wow, maybe a save mm. for the podcast. 
it's a good topic. I got some, I was just talking about this sort of stuff, um, with, uh, some other people who like, cause I grew up on a farm mm-hmm. and I met some other people who did as well. And we're talking about the experiences of that. Um, so that'd be something interesting considering yeah. the themes of this book. Yeah. Evan, um, were you yeah. a farm boy? Was I what? A farm boy. No. Not, not a farm boy, city guy, a suburbs boy. Yeah, suburbs for me. Suburbs and the Boy Scouts? Yeah, I, was, I did the Boy Scouts. All right. Well, well we have some various various uh, things to do. Uh, let's do a little pre-chat business and such. Um, get us warmed up, and then uh, we'll get started. Uh, um, Marissa's not joining us. Uh, she just she says she didn't manage to something uh, to move her writing group reunion. Um no worries, I say. Um, so there's that. And then um, I, I wanted to tell, uh, I, I convinced Will uh, we should do this book, and I want to tell you guys about it. It's called The Goddess of Atvatabar. Um, mm-hmm. It's 1894. Um, I'll send you the link to the Wikipedia entry for the guy. There's um, an audiobook on LibriVox, and it's very much in our wheelhouse considering recent recent shows. Um, so it's a if if you look inside the book, and I don't think it's there in the Wikipedia entry. Um, uh, yes, I don't think it's there. Maybe maybe if you click around, um, it's basically a Hollow Earth book, um, an early one. And, uh, it sounds like, um, like Vril, except they do kind of the stuff I was suggesting, like, um, you know, <laughs> let's do the economics, um, go down there, you wander around and then say, Hey, it's time to set up trade. Um, so it sounds like it ends with, uh, with trade or something like that between us and the hollow earth, um, from 1894, fully illustrated. And it's, it's got a queen down there. So that's kind of fun. Cool. Um, I'm shocked how many of these. There's, hollow, uh, there's way more than this, too. That's a crazy thing. Oh, yeah. We're just touching the, the very edges of uh, all the stuff that's out there. I, want, mm. I would like to do a Prester John show, but it's, it's too fucking big. That, uh, that topic is huge. Are there any Prester- books? Well, there, there is a... I don't know. Prester John may be He's like a Middle Ages. But there's that the Travels of... Mandir- Mandeville. Okay. Is that, is that it? That, that yeah, like that might be the medieval. first. That might be the first. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. But basically, it's kind of like. But it's basically fiction. I yes, think. it's basically. But it's travel it's, weird they're fiction. Trying to build off the success of Marco Polo or something. Yeah, but people took it earnestly. It's Middle Ages. There's a there's a a Christian kingdom in Africa, and the king is named Prester John. Mm. But yeah. it's from the Middle Ages, so um, they, they have like some exciting. Ooh, let's do a fantasy, but they think it's kind of real too. Um, but that seems to be the effect with most books. <laughs> They're really popular. Christian Bible, you know. Hey, it's true story. Oh, <gasps> wow! There's also this uh, the fake Taiwanese guy. Who who's that? Uh, he was like a French man who oh. basically started saying he's from Taiwan. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, and this was like in the 17th century mm-hmm. and he wrote basically a utopia saying oh. this is what the kingdom is like on Formosa. Yeah. 
Uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, Formosa Utopia. Formosa. I'll, well, I'll find him. It's like Salmatar or something. Like uh, Utopia Australia. There, George Salmanzar is his name. George Salmanzar? Yeah, but he was like French or something. And he just started saying he's from Taiwan. And people believed him. So oh, there he is. a historian looked at this. He wrote a book about like race mm-hmm. in the early modern period and kind of said like they didn't have the same concept of race. Because this guy, who was just like a white guy, he convinced people that, you know, he was yeah, Asian. Yeah, that, that happened so to Matahari is the same they tend story. To say they were white. They just yeah. described Asians as white. Um, but anyways, he wrote this book called The Description of Formosa. And it's basically like a utopian novel. Because none of it's based on reality. He's just a scam. He's like a scam artist, I guess. Was he ever so he traveled out? around Europe and, and people believed him. That's the kind of the interesting thing about this guy. Hmm. Was he found out in his lifetime, or is it just afterwards that people? I mean, yeah, <laughs> he might have been. There's a biography about him. You could, that's a very hmm. short biography. It's like 120 pages. You could read it alongside the description of Formosa, which I don't think is long either. That sounds hmm. fun. I don't know if there's an audio book though. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I was just thinking about Matahari being. Uh, she's one of these m- m- very modern. Yep, I'm from. Far, I'm from Bali, and it's like, yeah, your accent's you know French <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> because she had some. This? You don't know about Matahari? She's no. a, she oh, is a huge steal in World War One. She's arrested as a spy. Wow. Um, and the Wikipedia entry has nude pictures of her, which is interesting. Um, mm. It's been updated, I guess. I'm not that I haven't been, I haven't been there in a while, but um, yeah. So she was executed. So- uh, as a spy in World War One in France. Okay, interesting. And uh, she claims she was from Bali. I believe it was Bali. Um, it doesn't say right in the first Dutch exotic dancer courtesan convicted mm. of being a spy for Germany. Um, but she 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 had a long career before she became a, uh, you know World War One spy. I don't even know if she actually was one, but. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, all her brothers are named um, <laughs> just normal, normal European names, and she she went. She says, "No, no, I'm I'm foreign." It's like it's part of your gimmick, right? Hmm. Well, uh, yeah. Jeez, it didn't take much back then to pull. It. No, no. Uh, but uh, you know, whether you go along with it. Uh, you know, like, if you think about how the kayfabe works with, um, <laughs> you know, all those mm. WWE or WWF wrestlers, right? He's the, he's the, uh, uh, she, Greek chic or whatever. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, and he's not, right. he's not even that, uh, ethnicity. It's just a way to market your shit. People don't care, yeah, yeah. right? That's mm. what I'm saying. Like, you know, uh, Jesus is, is basically, his story is as real as Batman's. It's awesome. Mm. Um, and popular. <laughs> but Batman ain't fucking real. Um, mm. you know, you could say, but sometimes people did dress up in masks and attack people. And I'm, no, you're thinking of Zorro. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> you can, you can, you can, you know, it is, uh, 
I, I will maybe get into that too. Um, but yeah, there's a hole in the schedule for Goddess of that Vatabar, so maybe we'll think on that for uh, let it roast in the background while we're doing this show. Um, and then uh, Scott suggested we do uh, The Tempest by well, Willie Shakes. He wrote put him on there as, but I, I think of him as William Shakespeare. Um, that's a really good play by him. It's kind of mm. um, it's kind of really awesome, and it's comedy, and it's also um, it's a fantasy, and it's got fart jokes, really good fart right. jokes. Yeah, it's got all the colonialism stuff too. Oh yeah, yeah. Bill would like that. So um, that's uh, set for um, eleven a.m. on a s- someday. I don't know on the seventeenth. And then we've got a couple holes in the schedule upcoming. Paul's not available on one, so we could change the time on that very easily. He, he gets kind of grumpy if he's not on a on a, a show. But luckily, I don't think he would have liked this book. <laughs> oh, I was thinking about that. I'm wondering if he's going to be there. I don't know. I I, I don't know. It's like I'm kind of disappointed he didn't come because yeah, I, I you'd like to hear he his would. reaction. Because he wouldn't like it, not, not. But he would finish it and not like it. Yeah, we'll talk about I, that. I, I saw a lot of people seem not to like it. Well, yeah. let's uh, let's save that or start. Um, all, all right. right, let's go through these other books. You have a bunch of stuff listed here. Yeah, we yeah. Well, um, I think some piano. some of it is like I need to. So people have signed up for Shakespeare's Planet. I'm good to do that, but uh, we can't do that. Uh, schedule it without those people here so once it gets on the bottom there it, it's you know it's like will that work for you you know what i mean yeah so like yeah. anthem by ayn rand um i kind of want to do that but i don't want to do it <laughs> people the black circle i'm down for that as soon as i get a uh completed run of some comics um i'm up for you know so there's a there's a lot down here but also some of it is like not my suggestion and I'm not, I'm not pushing it or maybe, you know, that time for that has got, gone and passed. Like good omens. I don't think I'm going to like that. Um, maybe I will, but I don't think I'm going to like it. I think I'm going to bitch about it and then that makes it bad for other people. So I, I went to the used bookstore to look for some Heinlein stuff mm-hmm. and like what I found there, they had like, I will fear no evil. Friday, the cat that walks through walls. The sale will be on the sunset. Okay. I'm thinking, like, it's like I probably should pick these up, but these are all the like the yeah, they're the, the oh, after the bend kind of yeah, Heinlein novels that I would kind of dig. I I want you to do a, a Heinlein run, a big 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 like, Heinlein run. Friday was really tempting because the the girl on the cover is pretty. It's a good book. It's got some problems, but it's a really good book. Yeah. I'll be more encouraged to, 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 to go get it if you put Friday on the schedule. I've already done Friday. Sad oh. story. Pretty I sure see. I've done Friday, yeah. Um, <laughs> there are some later books, like, uh, I, I don't want to. But I also was <laughs> thinking we could book uh, weeks off and do longer stuff, because I'm so far ahead. I could probably, like, I want to do that book called The Devil's, Devil's Chessboard, which is about Alan Dulles and... Um, basically, the claim is he killed JFK, and it's like hi- hyper documented without any um, direct 
you know, <laughs> videotape. No, no, there's lots of evidence. There's no videotape showing him doing it or ordering it, you mm. know. But like so many things, all the all the strings that get pulled go back to him. It's mm. like the 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 line I heard about it that made me want to read it most recently was um, saying, you know, after he was fired by JFK as head of the uh, CIA, um, the, uh, the the they replaced the head of the CIA with you know the choice of JFK, but the staff senior staff were reporting still to Alan Dulles. Like they were going to his oh. house and he wanted oh to, he, he, right before he gets assassinated, he's like publicly saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, either gut or I can't remember the exact quote. I'm going to shut down the CIA. Um, mm. and you know, if you, if you think, if you're one of these guys, like <laughs> look at the guy who ran the FBI forever, right? What was his name? Hoover? Uh, Hoover. Yeah, Herbert Hoover. Um, yeah, I just watched uh, that uh, Judas and the Black Messiah today. What is that, a movie? That's about uh, Fred Hampton. Oh, shit. I, I didn't know about that. What what movie? Is it uh, Netflix? Or? It was on the HBO Max. Oh, okay. I, what's the name of that? I'm going to write uh, it down. Steal for my sister. The Judas and the Black Messiah. Judas. So and it's the... actually about the informant who kind of set up Hampton. Black Messiah. That's I'm just going to grab a quick coffee and be yep. back. And then, um, uh, yep. yeah, cool. All right, back to the Okay, so it's uh, 2021. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. How was it? It's highly rated here. It was pretty good. Yeah. Like, the, like, I think it's really nice making the Black Panthers a sympathetic organization and showing their ideology and their philosophy at the same time, right? having this whole plot of this informant basically he was arrested because he was impersonating the fbi agents so the fbi got him said well you can either infiltrate the black panthers and work for us or you'll go to jail hmm. so he but he ends up kind of getting into the movement a little bit but he's still like you know uh, he's, still was, gonna, he still doesn't want to go to jail there so. was a story about um uh the proud boys and there's another one of these you know organizations i can't remember what it was called turns out they're both uh, uh one of these organizations like the proud boys that their heads are actually fbi informants and and uh the story on you heard about some kidnapping plot of a governor in i want to say northern u.s yeah vaguely okay so apparently um i didn't take it too seriously uh, well that's the thing is is um there was like a van full of people headed there, and it, I think it was like three quarters of them were informants. <laughs> you know, and oh, and then, yeah. and then uh, they were paying for like the meetings. They're like, "Hey, you can't make it. I, I hear you can't make it. I'll pay for your trip." Like they're like they're doing the whole thing, and and um, the story on uh, on you know one six the thing that got the. Uh, Two billion dollars worth of new revenue for, for the Capitol Police, um, the insurrection, right? Uh, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Is like, I, I don't watch much news. Certainly not mainstream news. No, I just I news from YouTube, like normal people. Yeah. But now that I'm here, you know, the TV's on sometimes. Oh God, I'm yeah. So MS, NS, MSNBC's on or whatever, mm-hmm. and suddenly they're like talking. Like this new book comes out about this. Uh, 
the about January eighth or ninth, whatever day that was. Six and one six. Let's make it nine eleven. It's, it's like it was a Reichstag moment. Yeah, I'm like, I turned to my dad and I said, like, this is really dramatic. What with these people? But it was like for three hours they just had interviews of people and there was no like counter perspective. Pure propaganda. It was just pure propaganda. Yeah, on this event, which was just like a really lame and wasn't even. I mean. It, wasn't even an insurrection. There was no. just a bunch of lame. There, they were tourists. tourists. Who, like broke into the place, right? Yeah. And but they were making it out to be like this moment in American history where it could have turned towards authoritarianism, whatever. Yeah. Well, it and, did. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not in the way. It's, they're claiming. I'm not totally with you on just like everything out of the media being propaganda, but this definitely was. Uh, look, there, there are, there are stories, you know, like there's a, uh, there's a local story about a flood happening. Right? Yeah. Um, that's not all pure propaganda. Sometimes that, you know, like I listen to a, a, even though I don't have much of a commute, I listen to a traffic station, uh, in the morning. Hello. Um, hey. Uh, I listen to a traffic station. That's not pure propaganda. Although some of it is. What I, I want to confirm, I confirm this before I declare it to be so because I think it's so awesome. Um, they're one of those stations, you know, they have like five different segments they do every hour. And one of them is Eye in the Sky, right? Um, and then they, they have somebody come on and, and do, you know, the remote report from some aircraft. It doesn't say it's from an aircraft. But it's an eye in the sky, and they say we're looking at right, and you hear it from like the sound through a radio rather than uh telephone or any other remote you know Skype unit or whatever um and i years ago, I remember um seeing a doc some sort of t v documentary on how they did that, and basically it's a service that they hire called Eye in the Sky, and they pretend to be a helicopter, right. But they just use the same kind of traffic cameras and police reports and and calls to the show and text messages from their audience to report the traffic. So it's not it's not a lie, but it is a lie. And they yeah, don't say it's a helicopter. Yeah. They don't say it's a an airplane. But that's the implication, right? Yeah. Anyways, you were saying. But this was, this, this must, I, I mean, I felt it at the time watching this. It's like, this is really bizarre because I thought we we're kind of over this. Oh, and and they're I'm desperately like, searching for something. Why does suddenly everyone care about that January 9th again? And it must be, I don't know if they're trying to pass them a law. That's what I guessed. I yeah. Look into it. Well, they, they, no, they just, uh, they just gave $2 billion to the Capitol yeah. Police and they're opening up. They're opening yeah. up, uh, and you know, if you look at the reports on which I read, which are really fucking boring, by the way. Basically, it's it's saying the FBI um, it was an intelligence failure, and uh, oh, Homeland Security also intelligence failure. So what they're going to do now is have the Capitol Police do this work by setting up uh, remote locations in California and other other cities uh, in the United States because. You know, the, there's a threat to the life of the legislators. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, there is. Eventually, I talk a lot of guillotine talk on Twitter. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm not going to lead the charge by myself. I'll, I'll happily, I probably won't even be involved considering it's not even the country I live in, but I'll be cheering it on from the sidelines, right? Um, 
they they need some guillotine action, serious serious guillotine action, and there is um, resentment and such. But what happened there is it was a joke. It was a joke, and and it was pathetic. Like he, like at the time, I, I've talked to people who watch that shit. My mom's lawyer, um, and I, I was telling him about Zip Tie Guy. If you've seen the video of or photo, still photograph of Zip Tie Guy. No, from one so. you type in one one slash six or insurrection zip tie guy, and you see like this. Uh, he looks like he's you know a cop or something. He's dressed in body armor and he's got a huge raft of zip ties, right? And he's jumping over uh, chairs and in the it's a great image. Um, turns out he picked those zip ties up from as a souvenir. <laughs> like they, the cops dropped it and he picked it up and they think, no, he's there. He's there to zip tie AOC. It's like, mm, no, this is just like, it's like, it, you know, notice like none of them had any weapons. Like, you know, if they were Boogaloo boys, they would have M16s, right? They would have AR15s. They're not Boogaloo boys. They're all like resentful, um, Republicans. You know, the business owners who, had, you know, they think they fell for other propaganda. And now, yeah, sad story. <laughs> Man, it's, it's amazing. Well, I, got, I got one other little piece of news. Okay. So I got someone reached out to me to, to sponsor my, my little podcast. Oh, wow. Which doesn't have many listeners. No. Like it gets like a hundred at most, like after a while. Well, like maybe they just like, like you. Hundred hits or something. But yeah, it's like, and it was like a real request. It wasn't just spam. You could tell. That's he, cool. He list. He he listened to my podcast and actually responded what, to what. What product is, is he pushing? Some I can find it. Um, some writer's tool or something. Oh. Huh? Uh, Scribble file online writing community. Yeah, never heard of it, but. Um... That's cool that he. Um, but I'm not gonna get up there and suddenly say in the middle of my podcast, "Oh, by the way, like I've been using this great software." Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna do it. Yeah, I'd rather set up a Patreon and maybe get two or three people to give me a little bit of money. Yeah, is it Scribble File like P H I L E? Yeah. Okay. Scribble File, not my yeah. community. I usually get like audiobooks that people wanna. I mean, once I give him my data, he's probably gonna be like, "Yeah, we're not gonna give you much money." <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, even if you did, you know, it's just like, is it worth the effort? I've done it a couple of times, and it's like, it's not really worth the like. I, I can earn more money just by tutoring a couple days, right? Um, but those are permanent in the in the audiobook or the MP3 or whatever, because I'm not going to go back and edit them out. So, yeah, you should podcast to, for um... a living. <laughs> Like, uh, monetize my YouTube channel recently. I hit that mark. Oh, wow. Well, that's good. And, and, um, it's, it's not worth it at all. No, no, but, um, uh, like, um, I, I need, I think I don't have enough subscribers or something, but I've got the view count or something like that. But I mm. used to be monetized. Everybody was, right? You just turn it on. You, you like give them a couple yeah. of details and then they, there was a huge, um, freak out by the mainstream media and they shook hands and said, yeah, we're going to censor almost everybody. Mm, mm. Or yeah, yeah. Not, that, in this case, it wasn't censor. It was um problem. That's why I need to get off YouTube because that really yeah. is crap. Um, 
you gotta own, you gotta own your distribution, unfortunately. Yeah. Well. Um. Okay. Actually, speaking of which, mm-hmm. as it, I'll ask you guys. Like, I'm looking at just uploading stuff as a podcast, and I'm looking at different services. Mm-hmm. Do you use any kind of hosting service, or how um, do you go about that? I I do. Yeah. What's mm-hmm. yours? One server, called? right? I do. I have a couple servers, but my my I I can upload to the server until uh, there's a problem, and then my my. My guy who set me up is not talking to me, so I, I'll be fucked when that goes. But, um, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll still be able to download all the data. I've still got it, but I'd have to set up a new system somewhere. Mm. But, um, what, what, which one yeah, do you I'm use? I'm on Podbean. Podbean, like, that's right. It's like a hundred mm. a year and it's unlimited and you can upload whatever you want. That's pretty good. And they have different skins for the. Honestly, you're not going to get. But it's not that great because no? I can't, like, categorize things. Mm. I'd really like to have a. Maybe if you go pro and you pay even more, you can get that. Yeah. Like, I really want to, like, have categorized my author right. or theme or something. But it's not really worth it. I just put stuff up for fun anyways. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I push to try and, you know, except I, I, I'm so fucking stupid when it comes to... I won't compromise on lots of little silly things like, <laughs> you know, just like I don't, I, I don't want to... Uh, solicit reviews i just will not do it because i i think mm. that it's it, it's almost like it's immoral <laughs> um it's like yeah i yeah it's not my thing so i will I not do think it of like uh on you know on youtube everyone there's the whole like and subscribe and yep. all that kind of stuff yep, that's and so like well people will if they want to yeah but but to. the thing is is the more you do that people do need the reminder right it does, yeah, work. it does work. Advertising yeah. works. Asking for stuff works. Uh, you know, people go on Twitter and say, my dad is dying of something. He wrote a book once. I'm like, yeah, sad story. You should have a healthcare system. <laughs> <laughs> but people will buy the book. Okay? Or they'll just like send money and they do. Like, especially if you got a, like a sick animal, you know, you know, that they're, they're happy to. Feel good, yeah. but that's not a way to run a system. <laughs> it's not a way to, you know, no, if, no. if the whole, if you, what, what we need, what we really need to do is have a bunch of, uh, I was going to say Wall Street. What's the street in, in New York where all the Madison Avenue, all the Madison Avenue execs do some pro bono work for the homeless people in New York, right? Just go down, mm-hmm. rewrite the sign for them <laughs> that they're, they're, they're holding up, use better graphics. You know, tell a different story than the one, you know, uh, I, I, I hit my wife and I lost everything, my job, and now I'm living on the street and this dog likes me and I, I kind of like this dog. That's <laughs> like, that's a sad story, but it's not the one that'll get people giving you money. So you need to get a better story going. Mm. <sighs> that's not the way. Uh, so I keep thinking we got to get AI government in, just like submit to Colossus. <laughs> just, I, I well, think he'll do if, a good job. If you want job. to go back to stories to do, there's that last of the masters. Bill Dick's story was just sort of about that. Oh, okay. I'll definitely. Uh, I'm down for like any a bunch deck. Of anarchists. Basically, the whole world is anarchists, except there's like the, the state, last of the masters, out, which is run by a computer. All right. I'm and then these rebels try to go in and undermine the computer or something. All right. I'm writing it down. Last it's one of his early stories. Of the masters. It's, last it's not public masters. domain, is why I haven't read it. Of the masters. Oh. Um, deck. It's not, it is. I mean, it's 
It's, that must be 53, 54. It's 54. 54. Also known as Protection Agency. Let's book it. I'm, I'm down for booking that right now. Is there an audiobook? I mean, I can read it. Uh, yeah, there's an audiobook of everything except for the, um, uh, I mean, it's not public domain, but, uh, there's an audiobook of everything except for the, uh, the, um, you know, the short stuff that you have not covered. And a couple of very obscure stories. But those are anything that's in the, the yeah. collected works book. Okay. Um, why can't I find it on the schedule? Okay, here we go. How about, um, uh, 10.30. Uh, sorry, 10.03. Yeah. Okay. Is that good? Okay. I'll, La- be, the I'll be available, I'm sure. Of the Masters. Live. Okay, I'm not in Taiwan by then. I might just have to do the Hemingway solution. Hemingway uh, solution? What's that, shotgun? <laughs> no, it's like... It's just, I don't mind being with my dad. You know, um, when my mom died, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, sorry to hear. Just, uh, I, I changed my plans since going back from China to Taiwan to come here, and she died before I got here, and I've been... It's just been me and my dad. I've been helping around in the house, but I don't want to do mm. that. I've been trying to get, like, and I need to reapply for my visa, so that's been extending my stay. But I don't know how long that'll be because Taiwan has an outbreak and they've been not letting foreigners in. Shit. Yeah, I, I've, that's been kind of stressing me out. No doubt. Um, but uh, I'm he, on my way to get all that done, so I hopefully by by September I'll be there. I I just assumed, uh, Connor, you're you're not. Super excited about the last of the Masters, but if you want, we we do have a slot where Paul's not available. Um, he, we could put put it there and do it on a Saturday. Oh, um, and that's a Philip K. Dick story. Yeah, you said I have not read it, but uh, I have uh, I haven't read it, but uh, yeah, that could be interesting. What date did you say that was? So, well, well, we've, I put it for ten o three, but I could move it to o nineteen, and um, you know, Paul might get upset, but I. Honestly, I can't run my life based on what Paul's doing, so mm. <laughs> he gets upset about everything, basically. Um, but mm. uh, or we could just uh, why don't we just book it for the cur- that current time at four p.m. ten o three. So that'd be October the third. Yeah, or fourth for you because you're in the future. Okay. The fourth would be a Monday. Oh. Uh, oh well, this might not this might not be ra- correct. Let me just check and see. Um, July, August, to be on the September, second. October 4th. Okay, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's set for Sunday automatically, so we could do it on the 2nd. Mm. Yeah, does that work? Um, yeah, put All me right. down for it. And what I'll PM. do is I'll add a note and I'll get back to you. All right. It's hard to plan that far in advance. Yeah, no kidding. Doing, I, I just know that... Um, it's probably 40 minutes at most. Yeah, it's a shorty. Hmm. Uh, okay. So short, the audio book, that is? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not. He didn't do a lot of long ones that I haven't read. Uh, or mm. sh- long short stories. Okay, so I'm going to put Jesse Evan Connor, uh, Marissa Paul, and then that's our set for Saturday. Um, okay, that's good. Um, cool. I'm just going to go to the bathroom. Yeah, that's well, all that coffee, bud. Yeah, I know, that's my problem. <laughs> um uh, cool. All right, back into it. Yeah. Goddess of the Atvanabar. Um, I want to do like the Grifters. I want to do a bunch of stuff, but 
There's more. Yeah, there's I more books than there are weeks here too. And there's been stuff I want to dig up again. I have a copy of Carl Prayer Matt. Carl Flesh. Carl Prayer Matt. Carnal Prayer Mat or the Prayer Mat of Flesh, Wilbur Kwan, the Chinese Ming Dynasty novel, but it, it's it's basically pornographic, but it's wow. like it's it's got all these like fox spirits yes. and magic Buddhist weird stuff going on in there. Oh, but okay. I, I doubt there's a good audio version. Thank but my you. version has like pictures, like the original pictures oh. from, the, from the Ming. When you're doing and, the audiobook, you can just describe the sexy pictures. Yeah, it's usually just. I mean, they they they're they're pretty explicit. Before Midnight Scholar, that's the guy's name, the character name. Before Midnight Scholar, joyously s- surprised by these words of cloud scent, that's another character. Inwardly thank heaven and earth and all good spirits. So what's fun about Li Yu novels? This is he was a Ming writer. He was kind of like the band pornographic writer, but he, his novels always started like. What you're about to read is like a, 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 a mora- like a date, like a tale of warning mm. mm. to young scholars <laughs> to don't get seduced by sex or whatever. And then it's like 500 pages of pornography, and then the end is like, see, I told you all the horrible things that would happen to you in the you. '60s. All the uh, uh, there was a, there was a way to get a you know you could do all these like perversion perversion of lesbians and some doctor is the pseudonym yeah. <laughs> and it's like perverse le- perverse lesbianism amongst the new york elites <laughs> or whatever the new york uh Gre- greenwich villagers and uh lawrence block wrote some of those i i did um i wanted to tell you evan i tried to watch the animated series and it was so fucking bad i was so boring i was like i'm gonna have to come back to this yeah um, so I went to, yeah, so uh, jump to the original series. Yeah, I've jumped to the original really series. Discovery, huh? <laughs> There's nothing watch, there, bud. There's nothing and, uh, there. It's almost incoherent from what I've seen. It's like badly put together, incoherent. I, 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 I accept the defenses of Lower Decks because I, I don't hate it. I think it's just kind of There's stupid some fun. New, new some of that. But, out. There's a new se- yeah the new the new trailer for for Lower Decks. Oh, like it's it just might. a trailer still. It might not be horrible because you kind of not take it seriously, but Discovery takes it so seriously and it's horrible. I tell you books I, w- I want to do. I I, so I was just reminded of it of a Sir Sova uh, tweet. Industrial Society and its future. That's a book I want to read. Yeah. Um, and there is an yeah. audiobook of it somewhere. What's the author's name again? Uh, Unabomber. <laughs> oh, yeah, so no, I'm confused. There's another like anti, like a primitivist anarchist out there, like that. that Connor you know, was born before the, or after the Unabomber. No, before the, no, after the Unabomber. You know about the Unabomber? Uh, yes. Uh, he was a guy who sent bombs in yes. letters. Yes. Didn't he? Yep. Yes. And as a part of his commitment to uh, trying to save us from the world. And the AIs, I think that's where he went wrong. Maybe it wasn't AIs. But basically he's saying uh, it was like anti-mechanization sort of something Evan talks a lot about with Lovecraft, which I, I'm interested in. But mm-hmm. basically, yeah. thir- you write this uh, 35,000 word uh, thing in the New York Post and I'll maybe stop bombing people or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I, was, I was like, I tried to put together an essay about like where anarcho-primitivism sort of came from. Mm-hmm. I never quite finished it. Um, Washington but, Post. 
No, like, because that's not, like, 19th century anarchism was not this way at all. Like, Kropotkin, right, is the yeah. peak of and it's really mechanized. It's really like this post scarcity mechanized society. Uh, but I guess it's maybe it's the ecological crisis or this bureaucracy or I couldn't quite figure out what mm. was totally responsible for that. But it's it's in the mid 20th century you start to get these anti civilization anarchists who who pop up. Uh, Robert E. Howard, about, but <laughs> that other guy. I Robert Howard, Robert E. Howard would be, would be a Boogaloo boy, is what you're saying? Uh, he probably would be, I guess. He liked guns. Mm. I mean, he's, I mean yeah. he's all about the barber, barbarians. So it's actually a Qing novel. Yeah, I was, I was looking at it on Wikipedia. And, um, oh, I didn't think it was Ming. Uh, there's so many good books. Why would you pick like some random modern book like today's book? Let's get started, shall we? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. And then we can talk some more after if if uh, Connor can last the whole thing without a pee break. Okay, we'll see. The bathroom is busy, so I might have to pee breaks all the time during you know. Oh, Jesse do you? Oh, that explains a lot. A lot. Like now's a good time for a pee break. Je- oh, Jesse started talking. Okay, I got 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, I can tell when you're going to go on a while. So. <laughs> I just opened my mouth. <laughs> ah, that's hilarious. All right, um, here we go. I think. Let me just make sure my yeah. card is going. It's Jesse, me, Connor. Connor uh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds right.